Welcome. I am your host, Manpreet, aka MMA Lock of the Night, and your boy on Twitter at MMA LOT, and joined by my guy, as always, Cody Saftik. You guys can follow him at CJ Saftik. And we are here propping you up for UFC 267, headlined by Jan Blahovich and Glover Teixeira for the 205 pound strap. And then we have an interim bantamweight strap uh, on the line between Piotr Jan. I'd say the rightful champion going up against Corey Setting, who is, in my opinion, probably his toughest test to date. But big news, as always, glad to have my guy Cody back. It's a pay-per-view week. Got to have my guy Cody on for us. Uh, been having everybody hounding me. It seems like the memo is still not out there. Cody is only on the pay-per-view episodes. I know you guys love him. You guys can get more than enough of him over there at the uh, Dogger Pass podcast. But in terms of propping you up, it's strictly pay-per-view episodes. And lucky for you guys, back-to-back weekends because we got 268 next weekend as well. Cody, the fuck has been up, dude? How you How you been? Pumped up, dude. Pumped up. I'm actually really happy that the UFC decide, decide to label this UFC Fight Night Russia as a pay-per-view because I'm happy to be talking some fights with you. And I was talking to somebody the other day. They're like, well, is it worth buying? I was like, hell yeah, it's worth buying. They're like, well, what's on it? And as I'm thinking, I was like, you have to be into Russians. <laughs> like yeah. this whole, it, it's the Eastern European card. It's a former Soviet USSR blocks uh, type card. It wouldn't have it any other way. Well, we got to snuff out just like every other time. It's like, which one is going to blow it for us? I thought I had it yesterday. I thought I had it. Magomed, Magomed Karimov is the guy. Fuck. Turns out, Amari Akhmedov also on the card. <laughs> oh man, he's been known to do that a time or two. So let's put that in the past. Talk about this one. And uh, it's 15 fights, so I am the original rambling, gambling man. But I will try to keep it as concise as possible. We'll try to get through, th through these 15 fights tam timely manner. I do want to say, though, you, you are like hitting the nail on the head in regards to it's not big name value on this card. But if you're into MMA, you're like fucking psyched for this because there's yeah. a lot of fun fights on the card and a lot of fun names on the card. In your perspective, from a casual's perspective... Well, I'm not calling you a casual. Sorry, let me just backtrack on that in a second. From a casual's perspective, who do you think is the biggest name on the card? Because I'm, I'm going to throw the first suggestion out there, and I think he got the biggest roar at the presser today is Hamza Chmaev, which is fucking hilarious to say, right? Yeah, well, he's that little golden nugget on the card, right? I mean, if you look at it, you've got two title fights. And yeah, I think Peter Jan's the legitimate champion. I understand this is a title fight where two guys are coming into the fight coming off a loss, which is unusual. But Peter Jan's the best bantamweight, and bantamweight's the best division in all these sports. So yeah, you've got that, and you've got a legitimate title fight between Jan Blakovitz, who's really gone a long way to solidify himself as the best 205 or not John Jones, and Glover Teixeira, who... They gave him a hell of a pop, too. You know what I mean? Like, the fans love Glover, but you're right. Comes out Chimaev is three fights into the UFC. He's also not fought anybody ranked in the top 15, and yet huge pop, huge ovation. And as I, I'm on board with the fans, I, I think he's going to smash. I think it's a great storyline. I think people want to see someone come in here and smash, and they're getting Islam Makachev <laughs> and comes out Chimaev on the same card so and it's in abu dhabi right so i don't even have to worry about mark smith screwing me so i'm uh, i'm happy all over the place they should they, they should go back to the old school days of like naming pay-per-views this one's got to be ufc 267 smish right like you got yeah, Durayev, you know Shemaev, yeah. Machev, like all these guys are just going to go out there and give us some proper servant of smash and so uh yeah before we do get into the card here real quick i do want to quickly go over the best bet uh best prop bets that me and john dropped for over the last card uh both of us went one and 
and two. Uh, I hit Molina by KO at plus 500, but missed on Ricci inside the distance and Vittori uh, rounds. I had round three, four, and five. Uh, and then John, uh, one and two as well. He hit on Marcos via decision, but missed on Ricci inside the distance and Worthy by KO. Uh, still scratched my head as to why he took Worthy by KO in that spot, but it is what it is. Uh, Herbert obviously has a very uh, skeptical chin, but it looks like... Uh, Someone was going to get knocked out, yeah, right? <laughs> it looks like Kamal Worthy probably had the worst chin out of the two of them anyway. All right, uh, let's get into the card. 15 fights slate right up for you guys. We're going to try to do this in a timely fashion. We got first up Tagir Ulenbekov, minus 370 going up against Alain Nascimento. So uh, Tagir Ulenbekov almost gave me a heart attack in his UFC debut going up against Bruno Silva uh, and almost shit in the bed there. Uh, I had him in a lock of the night parlay and uh, he did not fight to the level of somebody that was minus 400 that night. However, in hindsight, that fight doesn't look too bad anymore as Bruno Silva is really proving himself to be a legitimate 125 pounder. But this is a fight that Tagir should go out there and look like a minus 350, minus 400. Now, I don't want to go out there and completely shit on Alan Nascimento, who has fought some legitimate competition on the regional scene and you know, you could probably say he should have been the first guy to ever get a contract from the contender series off of a loss because that fight with Holly and Piva was close as hell and it was entertaining as hell as well. Uh, but here, I think he has his work cut out for him. Ulenbakov should be able to land takedowns here without too much issues and then should be able to control him. Uh, I think he'll be a, a step ahead of him in terms of the scrambles and stuff as well. Uh, I don't think he'll be able to finish him as uh, Nascimento obviously has never been finished in his professional MMA career. Uh, so that just leads me to the Ulan Bakov via decision prop. That's probably the one that I like the most here. The last time I checked it was plus 115. Now it is sitting at still plus 115. Uh, overs as well, uh, minus 170. I think that's not too bad of a line. I think both guys are very, very durable. Neither of them ever been finished. Uh, so yeah, I I'm expecting a grapple fest here for about 15 minutes, uh, but I think it's going to be the Russian that kicks off the night right for them uh, who gets his hand raised. Cody? You share the same sentiments here. How do you feel about this one? Agree 100%. I had the over two and a half listed at minus 180. But yeah, I think that covers you on both sides. Why not take the fight, go the distance straight up? Well, I'm going to take to gear by decision at plus 110. So I think that makes sense on both sides. Nassimeno, yeah, you mentioned it. Five pro losses, never been finished in any of them. He does seemingly have a weakness in his takedown defense and his overall grappling. So to gear probably takes him down and smothers him. You saw in to gear's UFC debut that he is one of these smothering type grapplers. Uh, it's a stylistical approach that a lot of these good high-level Russians will come with, but he's not going to necessarily push the finish. And one interesting thing about him, so one, we know Nascimento hasn't been finished, but with Ulan Bekov, he's not really a quick finisher. Fight with Bruno Silva with the decision, but the, his, when he does finish, second round, second round, late in the fourth round, third round, late in the third round, he's had multiple fights go complete five-round decisions. So I, I don't know. Yeah, he, he seems like one of these guys that's going to spam takedowns, get them. Bruno pushed him. I hope he doesn't get pushed here, but I agree. The only thing that would worry me is the one-year layoff. He's pulled out of three fights a year in there with injuries. He's 30 years old, but come on. The guy's been training in the mounds of Dagestan with Khabib since he was 13 years old. He's part of the inner clique. He's a great wrestler. And whereas Paul was a little concerned that he's not strong enough to hold the guys down, it doesn't matter. If they get back up, he'll just take them back down, rinse and repeat for at least two of the three rounds, get the decision. So over two and a half to gear by decision. We're on the exact same page with both of those. Yeah, it seems like he has the cardio to do that. So I feel like he will he should be able to do that. And last thing to know about the specific matchup, Ulenbekov, normally the taller guy at featherweight, or sorry, at flyweight there at five foot seven. This is going to be the third time he's faced anybody taller than him. 
but he still hasn't had any issues with anybody that was taller than him in the past. So I don't think it's going to make too much of a difference. All right, let's move on to the next one here. We got Demir Ismagulov, my dark horse in the lightweight division, going up against Magomed Mustafaev. Uh, minus uh, 275 for Ismagulov, plus 235 for Mustafaev. Uh, now, this I, I see a little bit of similarities with Mustafaev and Alves to the extent that they're explosive at times, where they can crash forward, throw a lot of heat, and throw a lot of power behind their strikes. And that's one thing that Ismagulov is going to obviously have to be aware of as we saw in the last fight got hurt really early in that first round but was able to get that round back after you know having some good control time from on top won the second round in my opinion but then start to slow down a little bit in that third round i will say this though he had an extended period uh, off from the cage, off from action. So, you know, kind of chalk it up to ring rust, if anything. But if he's truly on 100% ready to go, I think he should be able to dance circles around Mustafaev in the spot, especially with the striking. I really like his striking. Good pinpoint accurate striking from the outside. Very smooth with his combinations. It has a decent... Um, gauge of distance uh you know other than his half yard out of his fight at the, the beginning of that fight where he just got blasted right away but hopefully he is awoken now he knows that he's back and ready to go um with Mustafaev, i think it's more so of a ko or bust type of situation he could go out there and try to implement his grappling here against his Magulov, but i don't think he's going to have tremendous success with it i don't think he'll be able to hold him down much uh and yeah i i think that this is going to be one of those uh classic is fights where he kind of just outpoints him over the majority of 15 minutes is Mustafaev Live, yeah, he could be right if he is truly successful with the takedowns, but I just don't see that happening. I don't think he has the gas tank to do so. And uh, hopefully, Ismagulov, who seemed to be slowing down in the third round of his last fight, has really shored that up because when you go back and watch his regional tape and when you watch his earlier UFC fights, the guy looks like he's ready to go for the full 25 minutes if he needs to as well. So, uh, prop obviously, we're going with the overs here again, uh, over two and a half minus 190. <clears throat> Uh, Ismagulov by decision uh, is currently around even money now, plus 100. If you are looking to back Mustafaev, like I said, I think the best way to go about it would be Mustafaev by KO at plus 600. I just find a hard time for that happening. Are you giving Mustafaev more of a chance than I am? Or do you think that the dark horse, in my opinion, of the lightweight division triumphs once again? Yeah, no, I agree with you once again. Ishmagulov, 23-1. and one. That's not by mistake. I mean, this guy's very tactical, very surgical in his approach. He doesn't overextend himself. He doesn't overrush anything. And honestly, his career has just been so rinse and repeat, easy going that I kind of fell into a pattern. I'm just going to bet Ishmagulov, Ishmagulov by decision, and it's been good to me. I mean, he's been pretty big, substantial favorite of over all of his opponents, but he's not really a finisher. If there's one knock on him, if there's one reason why the UFC isn't trying to skyrocket this guy up the rankings and give him these big marketable fights, it's like he's largely going to be in not exactly the most eventful fight state of the outside, use the jab, use the reach, and then, of course, close the distance eventually and, you know, employ some of his grappling prowess. But that Rafael Silva fight, he got, or Rafael Alves fight, sorry, he got chin checked. He got caught, he got caught clean, and that's important to me because this is a fist fight you're gonna get yeah. hit at some point how do you recover how do you come back from that how do you come back from adversity he's been having things so unbelievably easy for him that yeah eventually someone's gonna put you in a sticky situation you saw in that fight exactly guy's got a good chin he's got a good ability to come back when you're in good shape um your body's able to recover and you don't slow down you don't tire off so i see this being the exact same thing magomed mustafaev extremely dangerous right we know that all it takes is one spinning back kick to the face right problem is he doesn't really throw any volume his last fight with brad riddell went 15 minutes he landed 28 significant strikes had eight takedowns most of which had almost no top control nope no he wasn't able to hold brad riddell down he would get him down to a knee brad riddell would pop right back up but 28 significant strikes landed <clears throat> his fight with 
uh, Fazai ended early, but 10 there. His fight with Kevin Lee, he got finished in the second, only landed 20. His fight with Joe Proctor was the first round finish, and his fight with Piotr Holman. But, I mean, 28 significant strikes is the most he's landed in, in, in a single fight. That's just low output. I think Ishmagulov is going to control the range, get to the outside, use the jab, use the kicks, use all of his long-range weapons to kind of dictate the rhythm and the flow of the fight. And then if he needs to, smother up Magomed Mustafaev a little bit. But ultimately, the volume will win out the day. There's just not enough out of it from Magomed Mustafaev. So if I need one more thing to kind of make me feel better at night about it, is that Magomed Mustafaev knocks out Fazeev, right? And then in hindsight, that's a really nice looking win, but he pulls out of a fight with Don Madge right after due to an injury. He then took a year off, came back and fought Brad Riddell, and then he has pulled out subsequently out of a fight with Matus Gamera. It's been 18 months since he's fought, and he's 33 years old. Yeah, I don't think the best version of Magomed Mustafa is going to show up. And Ishma Gulov is a little tank engine, man. This guy always shows up, and he's seemingly still making progression to his own overall game. So we are on the exact same page. I put down Ishma Gulov Mustafa if fight goes the distance, was minus 175, and Ishma Gulov by decision at minus 105. Further to the point of Mustafaev being very inactive, this will be his first fight in 20 months. Before that was a layoff of 10 months, and before that was a layoff of 29 months. The guy just yeah. does not stay active inside the cage. I don't know what it is, but he's in for a stiff test here against Demir Ismagulov. All right, let's move things along. And to a fight that's kind of the outlier on the card, you got Yusong Hu going up against uh, Andre Petrovsky. <laughs> yeah, it was supposed to be time. the dumpster fire of the <laughs> night with Hu Yuzong going up against Alan Amadovsky, but Amadovsky pulls out in steps Petrovsky and... God, like you get Michael Gilmore in your first fight, and now you get in a three and two Chinese product in, in your second fight. Talk about a little bit of a layup here for Petrovsky, but there is always that issue with Petrovsky in regards to if the fight gets out of the first round, things could get a little bit hairy. However, when you see Cyril Asker ragdoll and mm. Yuzong Hu, you know, what I mean, four or four on takedowns, and I know that was four years ago, and I know, you know, Cyril Asker, a bigger dude, and uh, you got Hu Yuzong finally coming down to 185 pounds, probably where he should have been the entire time. I just think there's too much of a gap on the ground once this fight hits the ground. And I think that Petrovsky will be able to do what he normally does, which is snatch up an early submission here. I think the two ways of playing this fight would be Petrovsky round one, which is plus 250, or uh, Yuzong Hu, or Hu Yuzong, however you want to say it, plus 1900 round three. Uh, now, I know Petrovsky got that third round submission against Michael Gilmer last time around, but I think I will, will get at least a little bit more resistance from the Hu Yuzong side should this fight get outside of that first round. So uh, my money is likely going to be on that round one. Petrovsky, again, uh, he might stuff a couple of takedowns early here, but I think once that takedown does get there, uh, we should see Petrovsky slowly you know, creep up into full mount or something like that, uh, get a TKO submission, whatever it may be. But I think they're going to be light years apart once this fight hits the mat. Am I not giving our guy Hu Yuzong uh, enough credence here? How do you see this going down? You know what? I would probably just pass. It's probably the best idea financially just because, yeah, who, who the hell knows with Hu Yuzong? He's not just moving down a weight class. He's moving down multiple weight classes. So, yeah, he got taken down four times by Cyril Asker, but if I was at 200, he was 234 pounds. Then he drops down to 205 versus Rashad Coulter. Still not a good performance. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but but now he's down to 185, so it's kind of interesting. He's been off for four years. Surely he must have made some improvements. His overall body type is surely going to be affected. He should be a bigger, stronger guy than he was the last time we saw him. But these are all just narratives. These are like what is, should have, should have. And so I go back to UFC 261. You got three Chinese prospects coming out of the UFC Performance Institute, Shanghai. And oh, man, they were bad. Like bad, bad, right. bad, bad, bad. That's <laughs> one zoo wrong. He actually turned out to be okay, yeah. but he got beat up by Kazula Vargas like 30 27. Like, 
as not the a biggest good favorite out of all the Chinese prospects, too. He might have been the biggest favorite on the card, but it was just I, like, well, what, mistaken, what do we yeah. like about him? It's like, well, shit, he's only 20 years old. Surely he should have made improvements, but not the case. And so Contender Series, just on Tuesday. Yes, good. But the same yeah, I was going to bring like, that up. Oh, man, see, these <laughs> UFC performances to do Shanghai guys should have made improvements. <laughs> I'm just not seeing it. And listen, some of them were spirited fights, but they all had the same thing in common. The longer they went, the more the wheels fell right off the wagon. The one thing that you would have here is that Petrovsky's the same thing. The longer these fights goes, shit, the wheels fight is, fall off his own wagon. He's not trustworthy. He looks like a bad dude. If he was fighting some guy in the bar, my money's on this guy. <laughs> that bar fight went longer than three minutes. I might have to take the other guy. Like, he, he, he just doesn't have the same substance. Now, he did wrestle a little bit collegiately. He does have the big ground game advantage, like you said, and I do expect him to get this fight to the ground. But again, if he doesn't finish who early, uh, then we're going to see a second round, which is going to start on the feet. And maybe he gets him down in that round. But then, like you're saying, it's live for who round three, simply because if you're still in it, if you're a big guy, former heavyweight, even if he's got a wrestling advantage, it's going to be tiring tugging the bigger man down to the ground repeatedly. It's tiring. It's tiring holding a bigger man down to the ground for 15 minutes. It, all of it's going to cause him to get exhausted. When he gets exhausted, this big Chinese slugger will have his shot at landing that big shot. But I would say pass. And then because we're in the business of actually giving up a prop, what I did put, I guess now I've kind of talked myself more into like in the who side of things. But I did notice Petrosky by submission was plus 250. It's like, okay, man. Cyril Asker did submit this guy. We do know that surely he will be having a ground deficiency against Petrovsky. Petrovsky is a quick starter. So is it more likely that he takes this guy down and burns himself out trying to smash the TKO? Or that he takes this guy down, you know, tries to get for the TKO, and then as soon as he sees that opportunity, snatches up a rear naked choke, snatches up a guillotine. He does show uh, various submission wins on his record. So if I was going to take a shot at anything, it would either be who on a TKO at, later in the fight or a Petrovsky by submission at plus 250. But 14, it's 15 fights on this card. You don't need to overextend yourself or just pick something just for the hell of it. This seems like, you mentioned it the best, it's the outlier on this card. How did it get here? <laughs> I don't know. It was actually supposed to be who versus Alan Amadovsky, right? And he actually gets a much tougher part uh, pairing here in Petrovsky. Whereas if you are who, you probably just train for Amandowski, who's a one-dimensional banger. And now you're getting a guy who's likely going to pull you to the ground and, and beat you there. So totally different stylistical clash. One of the things in that Asker fight that just kept happening over and over again was who giving up his back, and he can't be doing that against a yeah. high-level BJJ guy like Petrovsky. So hopefully over the last four years, he's been drilling not giving up his back, and especially for this matchup here. All right, let's move on to the next one. Let's get back to you know legitimate fights. We got Maquan Amirikani going up against Lerone Murphy. Minus 300 on Lerone Murphy, plus 250 on Maquan I think all right off the bat, me and you can kind of agree that minus 300 on Murphy is a little bit crazy, but uh, this should be an interesting fight i was kind of leaning the uh the fight doesn't go to decision because i could see an early makwan americani submission we know he's a wizard with his dars chokes and his anaconda chokes and all that but he does seem to slow down later in fights and then uh you know really slows down later in fights uh and i think that's where Lerone murphy could possibly get him out of there in the third round uh now there could be that argument of you know edson barboza and kamala kirk were not able to get him out of that uh out of there early or sorry out of there late uh, but the issue is that Maquan was able to secure takedowns late in those fights, and he was able to kind of just hold them down from on top. Maybe not do any damage or anything like that, but was staying safe in those positions where he was not able to get knocked out. With Lerone Murphy, though, like one thing I kind of picked up on him, especially from that Tuhuga fight, he was fighting every single takedown 
with the best of his abilities in that third round. And even though he only stuffed two of them, Zubair Tuhugov managed to secure zero minutes of control time, even with two takedowns. So that lets you know right away that Laurel Murphy popped right back to his feet and he was able to get some damage going off from there. If Maquan's not able to land takedowns late in this fight, I think he's going to be on tr in trouble on the feet. And I think that he could possibly get knocked out by uh, Laurel Murphy late here. So a couple of the props that I was looking at... Um, I was thinking the under two and a half, but this could also be one of those spots where it goes, you know, if it doesn't go to a decision, but it doesn't hit the under two and a half either. So if I doesn't go to decision, minus 130 is what I'm looking at. Uh, Murphy by KO plus 130. I wish it was a little bit better than that. Uh, Makwan Amir Khani by submission plus 850 is ridiculous. That is an absolute nuts line to me. Got to take a bit of a sprinkle on that. But then obviously Lerone Murphy round three plus 950 plus 1000. Got to take a bit of a sprinkle on that. I have an inkling here though you have completely different thoughts about this fight so lay it on me cody lay it on me i just got a feeling it's probably more of a decision fight i mean if you yeah. can cover yourself on both sides you've look up makwan amirakani he's had 10 fights in the ufc he wins his debut by 10 second flying knee and then his last nine will focus in he's taken down all nine guys so there's not a single fight outside of his debut which he won by 10 second flying knockout where he hasn't completed a takedown on the opponent. So, again, if you want to look at it stylistically and numerically, he's going to get at some point a takedown of Laurel Murphy. What we think is that Murphy is going to, like you said, fight it off to the best of his ability, get back up when he's on the ground. And that's traditionally been Amir Khani's downfall. He either takes you down and snaps up a front choke early, or he dies trying. You know, he gets gasses himself out, he gets progressively more tired. And then the second and the third round, when the takedown's not there anymore, now he's forced to get striking. His striking's like, it's a work in progress. He'll throw his hands. He's got a decent kick from the outside. It's just nothing of substance, nothing he can do for 15 full minutes. And that's his downfall. Even his last time out, I spam bet Kamala Kirk. And I, I thought I lost, yeah. to be honest with you. When they were going to decision, I thought it was a losing ticket. But they gave it to Kamala Kirk. And why is that? Why is that? Because, again, Amir Khani scores five takedowns, but 20 significant strikes landed. It's not enough. His fight with Edson Barbosa, three, three takedowns landed. 11 significant strikes. What? You know, his fight with Shane Burgos, it went 18 seconds short of a distance. He landed 22 significant strikes with three takedowns. The Chris Vishgold fight, it was almost two full rounds, right? Nine significant strikes landed. Jason Knight, 15 full minutes, 27 significant strikes. And so then it makes you look. It's like, oh, shit. He actually gets outstruck in every single one of his fights. Even the Danny Henry fight, he got outstruck 6-2 to two and submitted him in the first round. It's a massive problem, and it's going to be a problem here too. Lerone Murphy does get taken down in the early portion, but he's going to start to fight it off. He'll start to tire him out, and he'll beat him. The thing I will give uh, Amir Khani credit for, when you look at his losses, Kuala Kirk decision, Edson Barbosa, going 15 minutes with Edson Barbosa, not an easy task. He also got knocked down twice in the fight, still survived. Shane Burgos did knock him out, 18 seconds left in the fight. And Shane Burgos, you know, he's kind of a hot hitter. Arnold Allen, another decision. So durability to me with Amir Khani, not really a problem. When he does get hurt, he just goes to his wrestling, tries to grind down the pace. Lerone Murphy, meanwhile, he does show the one win over Ricardo Ramos. But besides that, you've seen the fights with Androge and Zuberto Hugov. If he's got a force to stuff some takedowns, play range, play smart game plan, he's not like a big, big power striker. He's not like a super refined guy. I think he does get the win. I think he'll get a better, you don't want the three to one right now. I think you'll get a better live money line on him because he either loses the first round or maybe loses the first two or three minutes. At the very least, a competitive first round. You should be able to get a better price on Murphy, and then I think he pulls away in the second or third and ultimately wins a decision. So, again, what I marked out for my bets here, I'm going to put 
I'm going to go with Murphy Americani fight goes the distance minus 110. If Americani's wrestling is good enough to ground him for two of the three rounds, he's he's not finishing Lerone Murphy. So even if an Americani upset happens, I got the fight goes the distance. And then if Murphy does what he does, I still don't think he gets that knockout. I think he wins a decision. And at plus 165 on a Murphy by decision, really not that bad as far as I'm concerned. Oh, last thing is that Amir Khani was supposed to fight Tristan Connolly in this spot. So Murphy's actually somewhat short notice. He did have another fight pull off like a month ago. And I know it's like visa issues and whatnot. So he's going to be in good shape, sure. But uh, it's not like he's been preparing specifically for Makwan Amir Khani for 8 or 12 weeks and is ready to go out there and TKO this opponent. I think it's going to end up being one of these fights that goes 15 and that he wins at 29-28 at the very least. I like it. I like it. All right, let's move on to the next one. We got the return of Lord Mihal Oleg Shejak going up against Shamil Gamzatov. In terms of odds, we're looking at minus 140 for Gamzatov and plus 120 for Mihal Oleg Shejak. Now, uh, Gamzatov actually opened up at minus 180, so there's been money coming in on Lord Mihal here. And uh, I kind of understand it after you run the tape. Like, if you're expecting Gamzatov to be one of those Russian wrestlers that's just going to try to grapple fuck you to death, you're in for a rude awakening because that's not his style here. He likes to be one of those guys that likes to play from the outside, uses crisp, clean striking to really try to put it on his opponents uh, and, you know, win, like, decisions, like, very close decisions. Even his fight against Klitsch and Abreu, very close fight, probably could have gone either way, uh, but that's how he fights. Now you got a guy in Lord Mihal who has shown, even in his last fight, he can go at 15 minutes if he needs to, and he pushes the pace the entire time, stays in your face, unloads with the boxing, does not discriminate with the target either, really digs to the body when he needs to, and then also comes up top once he's able to get your hands to go down. Uh, I, I I like me some Oleg Shajak in this spot. I think he's going to be able to spoil the Russians' uh, hometown fight here, or, well, home crowd fight here, we should say. Um, and I think he's just going to continuously march forward. I think his chin will be good enough. My concern is if Gamzatov decides to, let's say, wrestle because i think that's usually the way that Oleg shajak loses his fights right he seems to be a little bit of a fish out of water once his back touches the mat uh but we'll see gamzatov if he decides to go that way because historically speaking that's not really the way he decides to fight his opponents with that said i like the Oleg shajak side here i do think you will see it go the full 15 minutes uh over two and a half is minus 170 and Oleg shajak by decision is currently sitting at plus 290 which i think is an absolutely crazy line here as i think that's probably his most likely way to win does he knock gamzatov out. I'm not 100% sold on that. I think that he's one of those guys that just peppers you and peppers you and peppers you, and Gamzatov seems like the kind of guy that will be able to take it. However, I think that O on Gamzatov's record is about to go, and we got Oleg Shejak winning this fight by decision. Like I said, plus 290, I'm going to be sprinkling that. How you feel about this one? Yeah, I got the same thing again. I took uh, the shot on Alexei Chuck at plus 120 yesterday. I think that he's definitely a live underdog here. And yeah, I think I think when you think about Team Russia and there's so many good Russians on this card that it gets you caught in this mindset of just like bet all of them. Bet all yeah. the EVs. Right? <laughs> bet all the OVs. You're 100% right. Gamzatov doesn't fight like the, the traditional Russian style. He does have that Sambo background, but he's not. he doesn't take opponents down. He's not looking to take opponents down. He's looking to back them up and strike, but there's not a volume out of them. And as far as his striking prowess goes, I don't see a whole lot of punching power out of him. He's got red flags right across the board. First and foremost, he hasn't fought in two full years. So, you know, that we see guys come off long layoffs and win all the time. So it's not like it's a, a, a crippling factor, but certainly it can't hurt. And it can't hurt when you look at, I'm sure you got a topology open here. Fight with Dong Jung, he pulls out with visa issues. Then the fight with Gavin Clark, he pulls out. The fight with Alvin St. Pru, he pulls out. The first fight with Ovid St. Pru, apparently COVID. He pulls out of a fight with John Howard in 2018 because he is hurt. He pulls out of the Rex Harris fight in 2017. He is hurt. 
pulls out of a Lewis Taylor fight in 2016 because he was injured. He pulls out of an Andreas Spang fight in 2015 with visa issues again. So this has actually been something that's plagued him throughout his career. He doesn't fight all that often, and when he does, not impressive. Keep in mind, this is a guy that won a split decision win over Rodney Wallace. Rodney Wallace, if you know, you know. <laughs> What decision in, in your zone backyard? Like, what yeah. is going on here? And then, of course, you watch him in, in PFL, and he's very unimpressive. They sign him, he fights Clitson Abreu, and <clears throat> I think you nailed it. Could have gone either way. Not a very good fight with Clitson Abreu. Keep in mind that Clitson Abreu went on to have an abysmal career after that. He got knocked down the first round with Jamahal Hill. He then was released from the promotion. He showed up in a couple grappling tournaments, really large and out of shape. And they got signed to PFL where Jamel Jones, <laughs> yes, Jamel Jones, if you know, you know. Knocks him out in the first round. So Gamzatov's fighting low-level guys and not looking good against low-level guys. Whereas Mikey O, alum check, yeah, I, I like this kid, 26 years old, but you can see he was always a matter of time of when he's going to put it all together. Do you remember his fight with Auvin St. Pru? He yeah. annihilates OSP in the first round. 10-8 round. Absolutely beats him pillar to I post. I had to there, man. I did not expect that cardio dump, though. <laughs> and in the second round, it was like, oh, <laughs> like, oh no, no. But I, I kept going to the fact it was like, geez, he's 24 years old, and OSP fought John Jones for 25 minutes in a title fight you know, a couple of years before that. So this kid will eventually put it all together and figure it out when he does good things. Unfortunately, Josh Jimmy Crute, who's just a lot better on the ground, and they're both young, they're both in a similar situation. But the Modestus Bokaukas fight, it looked like his cardio was improved. It did look like finally he could go 15 minutes. It wasn't the most impressive fight going. But again, I think he's just working out parts of his game. He roasts the body fantastic. He's going to be able to slow games to top down. He's got better footwork, superior hand speed all around. And even if he was to tire out and get tired and, and kind of slow down his pace, Gamzatov's not really a workhorse himself. So he's live at the very best and they're going to give you plus money on him. Why not take a shot? So I agree with the Alexic Chuck. If you did want to cover yourself on both sides, not that it's a very appealing price, but I think the over two and a half at minus 175 as well. Alexic Chuck's got big, heavy power punching, but I don't think he knocks out Gamzatov, who's fairly durable. And Gamzatov doesn't push enough of a pace. So I think it goes to decision uh, regardless who gets it. And the over two and a half at, two, at minus 175, not bad. It's interesting that Alexic is like naturally improving now because obviously we know what his ufc debut was like he went 15 minutes putting the pressure on khalil roundtree and won a 50 minute decisive decision just as he did against um uh, mr bukowskis last time around but after that fight pops for steroids fight gets changed through no contest and his next couple wins are a bit first round knockout but when he gets extended to the second round with ovin saint prude that's where he death gasses and then eventually gets finished but Improvements, like we said, natural improvements, hopefully, uh, from the Bukowskis fight that he can bring over here against Gamzatov. All right, let's move on to the next fight. We got Elizio Zaleski Dos Santos going up against Benoit Saint-Denis. In terms of odds, we're looking at minus 235 for the Brazilian, plus 195 for the debuting Frenchman here. Uh, interesting fight, fun fight. Uh, obviously, Benoit, 8-0 record, 7 wins by submission, 1 by knockout. Never seen the judges score cards, obviously. Uh, and then Zaleska Dos Santos, we always know he's fun to watch here. Uh, Benoit, just from watching some of his tape, looks like he wants to go out there, try to drag it to the ground, get his submission game going. Seems to be a submission over position kind of guy. And what, usually when I see guys like that, I love taking that under 2.5 prop here. And that's what I actually pulled the trigger on earlier this morning. Uh, it dropped roughly around minus 129 on Pinnacle. I had to take 
some shots on that. I have a unit and a half on the under two and a half here, as I'm expecting either Benoit to, you know, wrap up something early here. And if he's not able to, I think he's going to be in trouble on the feet. And I think we might get a high re- highlight reel knockout here from Zaleski Dos Santos. So uh, props, like I said, under two and a half is what I'm, lo- uh, well, not what I'm looking at, what I've already pulled the trigger on, uh, but specific props, uh, Dos Santos by KO plus 165. I don't mind that line. Uh, it's interesting that St. Denis uh, submission prop is actually plus 420, and that's probably his best path to victory. However, I'd be surprised if he submits Zaleski here. I know Zaleski has been submitted twice in his professional career before, but we're talking about eight plus years ago when he was strictly like really just a capoeira guy. Since that amount of time, I believe he's really, uh, you know, shored up those holes. Uh, and now we see him actually going out there and landing takedowns to secure rounds and all that type of stuff. So you really see his fight IQ shaping out and he's becoming a better fighter. Not to mention, I thought he won that uh, last fight against Muslim Salikov. I, I really don't know what the judges were watching there. Uh, close fight, don't get me wrong, but I felt like that first round should have easily been on the Dos Santos side is what it is. Uh, here he is taking on the newcomer, like I said, but I think he should go out there and give us a classic Zaleski knockout here. And my main play, like I said, under 2.5, minus 130-ish, Milaiki. How are you seeing this one, Cody? Yeah, listen, if everything goes accordingly, you should absolutely be right on all those points. I mean, listen, you got Zaleski to Santos. This is his 12th fight in the UFC. His opponent, St. Denis, fighting for the very first time in the UFC. So experience goes towards him all day long. I thought he won the Muslim Salakov fight as well. But on top of that, he's got wins over Max Griffin and Sean Strickland within the division. So he's got notable wins. He's got big experience. He's the bigger power puncher. He's he's going to be a little bit faster, better guy, agile. Yeah, I, th- I think he was his fight. Only one concern is that he has not fought now in, I think, 15 or 16 months, and he's 34 years old. He pulled out of his last fight with Shavat Rachmanov about a year ago, citing an injury, and then uh, this is the first time we're seeing him since then. So in case something was to go wrong, in case he's not coming back quietly as the same guy, I think you nailed it, man. I think you just take, I, I put down fight doesn't go the distance. You took the under two and a half, but not a bad price tag, quite honestly, at minus 190. When you look at Zaleski to Santos, yeah, he's got a lot of finishing ability. Sure, his last two fights have gone to decision, but Muslim Salikov is tough as nails. And honestly, Alexei Konchenko is tough as nails. Like, guy's yeah. very, very durable. Limited offensively, but very, very durable. And then prior to that, it's almost everything. The Jingliang Lee fight, Curtis Millinder first round, Louis Javendramini flying knee in the second, Sean Strickland a spinning hook kick in the first. Like there's a lot of there's a lot of uh quick finishes out of him, right? When you look at Benoit Saint Denis, it's the same thing, right? He likes to get these guys down, he likes to finish them early and often. He comes out of Bulgarian top team, and a lot of them fight with a very similar style. They like to just close the space, get a hold of you, rough you to the ground, and try to have a lot of lengthy uh, time on, on top. But the striking is very herky-jerky. I mean, they don't move particularly well. They're not very soft and fluid. And I think at some point, Benoit Saint-Denis goes out there, probably does get a takedown, muscles him up against the cage, forces himself, starts to tire, starts to fatigue, when he does, Zaleski Santos takes over. So I'm actually going to look this one from a live betting opportunity as well. I think you might be able to get a slightly better play, price on Dos Santos after the first two or three minutes, let's say. Uh, but I think we're pretty much in agreement. Zaleski Santos likely knocks him out. Should be the victor. Should be the victor inside the distance. But why not just take the under two and a half? Why not take the fight doesn't go the distance? And literally, it's going to cover you on either side, depending on who gets the victory. They're probably winning inside of the distance. Love it. I love it. Shout out to our guy, Dan Goldstein. Remind you guys, curb stop that like button for these two bearded intellects. Smash! Yes, we are both 
rocking the beard uh, right now. I was actually giving Cody a little bit of grief before we went on live for already rocking the toque, you know, <laughs> end of October, but it is cool yeah. as fuck up here in Toronto. <laughs> yeah, I went to a maze last night. It was like, uh, I don't know, it was like 10 o'clock at night. You couldn't see shit, right? Wow. And it was just this dark ass maze. I'm out there, I'm freezing my ass off. Dawn's on me. I'm like, I'm 30 years old. What am I doing in this maze at 10 o'clock at night? Like, anyway, and yeah, and I got PFL on my phone, and I'm like half lost, and I'm just you like, DJ. man, I don't want to. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow, things were going bad, but I let it ride on Cooper. Thank God he came through. And then, uh, well, Kayla Harrison's minus five thousand. There was nothing to be made there, so I got out of the maze. Huh? One piece, check it out. <laughs> Boom, got all six clues. Even uh, solved the world problem. But yeah, I'm freezing cold the entire time. Woke up this morning, I'm like, pull out the winter clothes, long johns, wool socks, and Sweaters, of course the two. Yeah, yeah, you got it, buddy. I love it. I love it. I'm not looking forward to shoveling snow this 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 winter, but it is what it is. All right, let's let's keep this train moving along. We still got ten or nine more fights to go, and this next one I'm very excited about because we got the UFC debut of Albert Duraev, minus three forty now going up against Roman Kopilov, making his second uh, stint. To, or making his second walk to the octagon, uh, coming in at plus 280. Now, well, I, when I originally started taping for this fight, I started off on the Kopilov side of things, went through his regional tape, and obviously to his fight with Carl Roberson. But like his regional tape looks pretty damn good. He has good mm -hmm. striking from outside. Uh, but you kind of start to get the idea that the level of competition was very sketchy, especially that guy Colby Ortiz, who he was like a minus 750 favorite over, which I found out after the fact. But even once the fight starts, you're like, how the fuck did this guy accrue a 15? and five record fighting like that but is what Kobe it is uh, yeah uh kopilov was able to dispatch of a lot of these guys i will say his last two fights for fight nights global were impressive you know he did manage to defend a couple of takedowns really let his striking going uh has really let his strikes go uh and was able to dispatch of those guys as well but once he came to the ufc and took a legit step up in competition gets choked out by Carl Roberson in the third round. Like, if you wiki-cap this fight and you just see that, you could probably auto-bet Albert Derive, but that just, you know, we're not, we, we need to do the work. Me and you and all the other analysts and predictors and all that stuff, we need to look into the substance and see why that actually ended up happening. And it just seemed like he was very gun-shy in that fight. His leg was getting tore up by some leg kicks by Carl Roberson, and then obviously it seemed like he gassed out and he gave up that choke late in this fight. And Derive, you know, we saw him on the on the contender series a couple of weeks ago. Uh, immediately grounds the fight against Bentoncourt and goes to work and eventually gets that uh, neck crank. I believe he was able to get. And right after he gets the neck crank, marches on over to Dana White. Hey Dana, give me Israel, give me Whitaker, give me fucking whoever the fuck. I will fuck them up. I will smash them. I'm like, I love this guy. Chimaev 2.0. I fucking love this guy. And when you run through the tape, it's hard not to like what you see, man. He's very aggressive. Likes to get the fight to the ground. And if he's not able to. His striking game is not too bad either. I think he feels like uh, I think he feels like he can be competitive with Kopilov on the feet. However, I think he shouldn't fuck around too much on the feet. He has been knocked out a couple times earlier in his career. That was down at 170 pounds, uh, where he did capture the title actually for ACA. Then moved up to 185 pounds, captured the title over there as well, and now he's finally in the UFC where I think he belongs. And uh, Cody, I think me and you can kind of uh, agree upon whenever we talk about regional promotions, ACA and ACB is probably one of the top. Uh, promotions that we look at especially when guys are making their ufc debut when you want to talk about um you know level of experience and level of competition that been, they've been going up against and aca uh, i think derive was really facing the best of the best over there uh i think he grounds this fight 
without too much issue. If he needs to use leg kicks, we've seen him do that in the past. I know there's going to be a difference in terms of stance with how Roberson was uh, fighting him and how Derive's going to be fighting him, but I don't think that's going to make too much of a difference here. I think it's really only a Hail Mary KO here that we can get from... Um, from Kopilov to get the win, uh, which currently sits at uh, plus 700. But I think that Derive goes in there and absolutely smashes Derive inside the distance. Minus 130 is a spot for me. Are you going to continue and feed me with that Derive hype, or do you think that Kopilov is live here? Honestly, Kopilov could have been my boy this close. Could have been. I could mean, have been. Yeah, well, dude, I, I remember watching both his last two Fight Nights Global fights live, right? Yesterday, Unimoto and the uh, Asupian... Uh, Alakanov fight and this guy looks good man first of all both those fights are fourth round stoppages like his cardio is solid he moves well he strikes well he's able to carry power throughout uh, multiple rounds like this guy don't look bad at all he signs to the UFC versus Carl Roberson he's even money is Kopilov's gonna go out there and put on a performance he looked bad like I mean bad that guy that I seen on the regional scene was not there. Like you said, maybe it was the leg. Maybe he had a pre-existing leg injury, but he was super tentative. He looked okay in the first round. He let his hands go a little bit, but second and the third round, I mean, he just fell off big time. So hesitant. Eventually gets taken down, gives up his bag, and gets rear naked choked. And is just gas tired the whole way. And that's a bad look. He had also pulled out of a fight with Christoph Jocko just prior with an injury. And then since then has pulled out of a Tom Breeze fight. Like, when you fight Tom Breeze, he pulls out. He pulls up. <laughs> even if you have a broken leg, even if you have a broken leg, just go to the go to the fucking arena, right? And at some point they're like, Breeze is out, you'll get your show money. You'll be like, well, thank God I got a broken leg. But at least you showed up. You know, Breeze is not gonna. In this case, it's like he pulled out. He's just kind of had these issues since. So on one hand, he's only 30 years old. There is some talent there, there is some skill there, but a two-year-long layoff and how bad he looked his last time out, I can't get behind that. And furthermore, Carl Roberson's a kickboxer who took him down and choked him out with a rear naked choke. So that all doesn't uh, go well at all. Albert Derive, meanwhile, you watch the tape on him. <clears throat> He's a menace, man. This guy is a thrashing machine. He takes guys down. He bashes them. He wants a submission. He takes a submission. If He uh, he can throw hands for sure. His wrestling's pretty good. His striking's okay. It's the top control, man. If this guy ends up on top of you, <laughs> you got a problem, dude. He has got some sneaky grappling, strong, strong guy. And he's also full-time right now in Las Vegas where his chief tra training partners consist of, for this camp anyways, of Hamzat Chemaev and Sean Strickland. So he's going to be well-trained, ready to go. He just fought recently in a contender series. That washed his own. He hadn't fought in, what, two years. But now he just got back in there, took no damage in that fight. The one concern would be maybe... He gasses out because he's only fought one single round in the last three years. But this is a guy that used to fight 25 minutes in Russia and seemingly not have problems. So maybe if he fought in America, yeah, maybe they test him. Maybe they're all over it. Maybe he gets tired. In Abu Dhabi, this guy's going to be ready to go. And I expect him to take care of business. So Albert Durayev, same thing. In terms of an actual prop for it, I got... This fight's not going the distance. However, that line's been steamed up pretty good. Duraev inside the distance, still not a very good line. Him by submission or him by TKO, couldn't quite tell you, right? He seems to be more of a submission guy. It, it, the submission's probably the way to go here, um, considering you, you've... 
Yeah, and you've also got Copyloft just got submitted, so maybe there's that recency bias there. But the line just doesn't seem good enough. What I thought maybe was the over one and a half rounds. Durayev, not likely to finish him in the first. Again, just because he finished his opponent in the first round last time out, it's not like he's... And it's a neck crank, Manpreet. When was the last time he saw a neck crank, I know, right? I know. Yeah, never, right? So I think that this one is going to be more... <clears throat> he's going to need to continuously take him down, continuously grind him, and then get him tired. When he gets him tired, then the finish will open up. I do not, not see this thing going the distance, but I think it gets a round and a half in. And so I took the over one and a half at minus 150, only thing I put down. But uh, I don't I don't love it. I think Derive wins. I just think they are, the bookie's on top of the price, and there doesn't seem like there's a ton of value there for me. Uh, in regards to where you <clears> will <throat> potentially be placing him for on your, uh, on your parlay tickets, do you see him closer to the top half, middle, bottom half where, where do you have him he's gonna be middle i'd like to put him on the top top half the unknown is copy love right a lot of times us cappers um, people always say oh uh, footage is king you know you got to watch the footage you got to watch the tape tape is king tape is everything feel but the guys change a lot in between the last time you see them you see yeah. the contender series all the time they look awful awful on the regional scene and then what in the matter of six months later on contender series are suddenly that much better these young fighters especially ones that don't have a ton of experience will be making improvements it looked like copy love was a decent enough fighter he comes into the ufc he lays a complete goose egg and then the next time he fights in the ufc nobody wants anything to do with him how many times have you seen that how many times have you seen a guy go in there and lay a goose egg in his UFC debut? It's lose. always Taylor Santos that comes to my head. Like she loses that first fight against Mara Romero Barella, comes back as an underdog against Molly McCann. Everybody's watching the Molly McCann side until Santos goes out there, has a career best performance. So yeah, that's definitely something to think about. I, yeah, I, I see it all the time. That. And you know what? We've made good money banking these guys. You know, Nate Landwehr loses his UFC debut by Gilbert yeah. or by uh, Herbert Burns by first round KO, but then he comes back and he puts on a good performance, right? A lot of the times you'll see the underdog selections on the card it's normally well they're coming off a loss right but that doesn't take away anything anything from them it's just a bad stylistical matchup kopilov's case he was taking on a kickboxer and he got grounded and got submitted that's not going to go well against duraya for sure but the two years off you know he's derives the natural 170 he can fight a 185 but he was a big monstrous welterweight kopilov meanwhile is an actual middleweight he's a bigger boy those just create variables they create red flags in my mind that i want Duraev. i'm gonna have me some Duraev. but when i think about what jan blockwitz brings to the table when i think about what what jan brings to the table what i think about what makachev brings to the table there's so many Ishmagulov, like, Ish yeah. what he brings to the table. It's I, yeah. I I feel like those guys are gonna be the basis of the ticket and drive will end up being like the sixth most confident Russian on the on the card. I like it. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. I believe this is the eighth fight we're going over, and we're still not at the main card. Mm -hmm. We got 15 motherfucking fights, and don't remember, plug in our, my computer. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> also, don't forget early start time tomorrow or on, on Friday, sorry, 10 30 a.m. Eastern prelim start time. That's 7.30 a.m. Pacific time. So you West Coasters, you finally get the shit end of the stick here. Uh, and us East Coasters can finally, you know, wake up at a decent time and start watching some fights with our breakfast or brunch if you're the brunch type of person. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. We got Zubera Tuhugov going up against Ricardo, or I should say this for somebody that commented earlier on the stream, Ricardo Hamosh. Hamosh. We got odds 
of minus 160 on Tuhugov, plus 140 on Hikaru Hamosh. Uh, very tough fight for me to break down, but I ultimately came down to Tuhugov by decision, which I think is roughly around plus 130, plus 150. But goddamn, things get iffy for him once that third round hits. Now, I put, a, put out a statistic on Twitter the other day saying that uh, in Tuhugov's UFC career, he's gone to a decision five times. Uh, of those five times, four of those fights have actually gone to uh, a split decision. In, where he has gone one, two, and one in those fights. Now, in all five of those decisions that he's gone to, he's lost the third round on at least one judge's scorecard in every single fight. It looks very iffy for him whenever he gets into that to that last round, and I think that could be the same situation here. Uh, I thought going into the, studying this fight, I'd come out on the other side with some money on Nikaro Hamosh. I just can't end up pulling the trigger. Tuhugov, you know, not a higher level Russian compared to the rest of the guys that we have on the card, but I do think that he has that kind of forward pressure being able to throw big shots, kind of keeping Hikaru Hamosh moving backwards. And Hamosh could possibly beat him on volume if Tuhugov is not able to land some takedowns or anything here. Um, but Tuhugov has some decent power in his hands. So round one, Tuhugov plus 800, plus 700. I don't mind that for him possibly finding that chin of Hamosh. We've seen Hamosh go down before like a ton of breaks, and I think that Tuhugov has the power to do so. Uh, or Ricardo Hamosh, round three plus 2,000. Uh, you know, there are instances where you see Tuhugov going a little bit too desperate for takedowns. You know, maybe sticks his chin out there a little bit too much. You don't want to be doing that against a guy like uh, Ricardo Hamosh, uh, and also could potentially give, be giving up his back in these situations. Another thing you don't want to be doing uh, with a guy like Ricardo Hamosh. But ultimately, I still end up on the Tuhugov side to win by decision. Uh, but I've already placed some some sprinkles on those round props that I just brought up to you guys. Uh, not a ton of confidence, but I am on the Tuhugov side here by decision. How are you seeing this one go down? Yeah, the same way. I mean, Tuhugov, four of his last five fights have been split decisions, with one being a split draw. The fight with Lerone Murphy, he actually 10-8ed Murphy in the first round and then lost rounds two and three. So cardio is always an issue. Not only is it four of his last five fights, I've gone a split, but he's also got two more split decisions earlier on in his career where he went one and one split decision losses or we got a split decision win and split decision loss. So it's the nature of his fights. They're always very close. He generally gets the takedown, but he doesn't have enough ground and pound. And whereas his Russian comrades will get the takedown and smother you, he does it. You know, he gets a takedown. There's a lot of space. His opponent eventually works his way back up and there's not enough, you know, substance there. I, I think this thing's likely going for 15 full minutes. Zahugov or Tuhugov could theoretically catch him and knock him out. We do see Ricardo Ramos, two UFC losses, both of them have been by way of knockout. So it's not out of this world to think that Tuhugov could clip him with something. But more often than not, I think he's going to try to just go out there, grind him up against the cage, secure takedowns, and have his way that uh, that way. Ricardo Ramos' last fight out against Bill Algeo, I didn't think he looked very good. He spammed takedowns against Bill Algeo over and over. But it was another case of he was actually getting outpointed, outstruck, out volume, and then he was able to rely on these takedowns. Easy money against Bill Algeo and the big, long, lanky frame he has. But against Tuhugov, you're not going to be able to just spam takedowns to get yourself out of trouble. He's going to be the one trying to take you down. He's going to be the one with maybe a little more stopping power. It seems like it's a Tuhugov play all around. However, one of these Russians is going to screw it for me, and this could be the one. So I feel like fight goes the distance at minus 165. It's just a better path for me personally. If Ramos ends up springing the upset, is he finishing Tuhugov? I don't think so. He'll win a split decision because we've seen Tuhugov lose split decisions before. We've seen him win split decisions. They're close competitive decisions. So if Ramos slips the script here and pulls the upset, it's a decision. I'll still hit my 165. If Tuhugov does what he's capable of, you were saying, do you, you have to hook off by decision as well? 
I have Duhugov by decision, yeah. Yeah, it seems like if Duhugov has his way, it'll be much of the same. Maybe four landed takedowns, 38 landed significant strikes, two of three rounds, unanimous decision victory. This is, in fact, in Abu Dhabi, and I would say Duhugov may get a favorable lean in Abu Dhabi. So I, I, I don't know. I don't know. This is tough. He fought Hakeem Dewadu his last time out, right? It was in Abu Dhabi. Let me just check this real quick. There was one whack-ass scorecard, wasn't there? Let's see here. Honestly, I, I didn't think he deserved a 10-8 in that first round against uh, Lerone Murphy. And if that hadn't had to happen, Lerone Murphy would have won that fight. Yeah, yeah. So Lerone Murphy would have won that if not for the 10-8. And then, yeah, sorry. David Torelli scored uh, rounds one and two for Duhugov against Hakeem Dewadu. So I don't actually, you know what? That was a close fight, as I remember it. It was very close either way. And I thought that they would screw Hakeem Dewadu, the Canadian, over in Abu Dhabi, and they didn't. So maybe the whole theory of like these greasy decisions, but he's just, he's in a lot of greasy decisions. So win or lose, we're kind of expecting a greasy decision. Well, let's just take fight goes the distance, minus 165. Who cares who wins a greasy decision? And of course, as far as parlays are concerned, Tuhugov will be making appearance, but he'll be very low because I do see improvements out of Ricardo Ramos every time out. He's still pretty young. He's still def definitely a developing fighter. He's only 26 years old. He's been getting a lot of work at Team Alpha Male in lately. You do see actually that improvement. I think his wrestling looked career best against Bill Aljo. Problem is, it's Bill Aljo. The thing is, he's 26, he's making improvements, and he fights all the time. Whereas you've got Zaberto Hugov is, yeah, he's Khabib's boy. He sucker punched Conor McGregor one time, got in everybody's good books. But realistically, the guy fights once a year, and his results every year are just middling. They're just so-so. He seems talented. He seems like he could cut the corner at some point. He just hasn't. And for that reason, you know, Ricardo Lamos is a live dog. I just think fight goes the distance is our best path here. I like that as well. I will say it's interesting that Carlo Hamos seemed to be maybe a little overrated when he first came to the UFC, but now it seems like he's being heavily underrated over his last couple of fights. So we'll see if he can find that happy medium and hopefully spring off the upset this weekend. All right, let's move on to, I believe this is the prelim headliner. We got Amanda Hebots going up against Verna Jandiroba in a strawweight battle here. In terms of odds, we got minus 165 for Hebots, plus 145 the return on Verna Jandiroba. And this one's been pretty much talked about the entire week uh, from both sides. And I actually feel pretty strongly about the Verna Jandaroba side here for a couple of reasons. Now, obviously it looks like on the, from, from on the surface, it looks like, uh, uh, Amanda Hibas has some pretty good striking, right? Like she, uh, for me, it more so seems a lot more show than substance though. Right. Uh, we saw it in the Marina Rodriguez fight where she actually went up against a legitimate striker, tried to strike with her for, you know, 30, 40 seconds and got a, completely decimated in that spot but of course she's going to be able to go out there and outstrike girls like Mackenzie Dern who we know her striking is still a little bit of a work a work in progress that's why people are just so high on it that's really the only fight that we see her really touching women up from the outside she did some good work against uh, Marcos as well but again we know what Marcos is striking is like as well now, I'm not saying that Verna Jandiroba has a striking that's going to, you know, prove that uh, uh, Amanda Hibas has fraudulent striking, but I think that it's going to allow her to kind of close the distance a little bit easier, get in on the hips, try to look for takedowns, and go to work the way that Verna Jandiroba goes to work. Now, everybody's always going to be pointing to that fight with Mackenzie Dern for Verna, saying if she lost to Mackenzie the way that she did, why do you think that she's going to beat a girl like Amanda Hibas? My argument for that is we didn't see the Verna Jandiroba that we normally see, and I think that's part in part to do with 
that Verna probably didn't feel comfortable on the ground thinking that she could out jujitsu what Mackenzie Dern brought to the table. Because when you watch Verna Jenny Roba fights, like she's shooting two, three, four takedowns a fight and controlling these women on the ground or going uh, or uh, getting submissions. But in that fight, she shot one takedown. She got it. She got some good top position in that second round. But there were plenty of instances throughout that fight where you see she could get top position, but allowed Mackenzie Dern back up to her feet and just said, let's strike instead. I don't think she's going to do that here against Hiba. So I think she's going to get through that uh, get through that uh, no man's land zone, that distance. She'll be able to get in on the hips on Hibas and get this fight to the ground. You can say what you want about the statistics of Hibas's uh, takedown defense, 85%, sure, but that's one of those spots where you got to look a little bit harder to realize it's a little bit of an inflated number, especially considering that Mackenzie Dern went 0 of 6 on takedowns in her fight against Amanda Hibas. But Randa Marcos was able to land the first takedown that she threw on uh, uh, Amanda Hibas there. So I think that Jandy Robo will uh, trust her jiu-jitsu over Hibas's, which I think a lot of people can agree on. She probably has a better BJJ there. And if she's able to get this fight to the ground, I think she's going to be able to control Hibas. Uh, I don't know if she'll be able to submit her. Um, it's a possibility, but I am leaning more so with the, the Jandy Robo by decision, which I believe is currently sitting at plus... Uh, plus 300 now. Good God, that's a lot wider than I thought it would be, to be honest. But th that's how I see her winning this fight, man. Dragging this fight to the ground. However, if she does approach this with the, the same mentality as the Mackenzie Dern fight, where she wants to go there and strike with her, even though I think that Hibas' striking is fraudulent, she will win on optics. She will win on being the one that's more active from the outside because Jandaroba's striking is just not there yet. It's just there enough for her to close the distance to drag the fight to the ground. But I think that we'll see Jandaroba spamming takedowns like she normally does and then being able to control Hibas on the ground. So I'm going Verna Jandaroba, and I will most definitely be sprinkling that plus 300 decision prop. However, even on the money line, I think there's going to be some more Hibas money coming in throughout the next couple of days. And... Uh, uh, I will, I'll probably wait out and maybe hopefully get uh, Jandy Roba plus 150, plus 160, depending on how much Hibas loves come in, love actually comes in. How are you seeing this one go down? Yeah, I took the dog show on Jandaroba as well. <clears throat> you got to have a couple underdogs on this card for sure, just like every other card. And yeah, I don't mind what Jandaroba brings to the table. I think that her striking, even though it's not refined at all, is starting to make some improvements. You saw a good Mackenzie Dern fight, not good. The fight with Kanako Murata, literally one fight later. It's like, She's spending a lot of time in the gym working on her striking because she knows she's got advanced grappling. She knows her wrestling's decent. Uh, it's the it's the big hole in her game is what if the fight doesn't hit the ground? Can I stand with these girls? And I think in that regard, she's getting a little bit better. <clears throat> Amanda Rebus, meanwhile, she's been the benefit of the opposition level, right? And you, yeah. you nailed it, really. It's like, okay, she shows an 85% takedown defense. Okay, so her last fight, Marina Rodriguez shot zero takedowns. The fight before that against Paige Van Zandt, Paige Van Zandt, she, she shot zero takedowns. The fight before that, Ronda Marcos, Marcos goes one for one. Why Marcos didn't shoot more takedowns? Well, Ronda Marcos got questionable ring IQ. But yeah. she actually did go one for one. The Mackenzie Dern fight 0 for 6, and Emily Whitmire, they're now calling her Emily Shitmire, and she actually <laughs> also shot zero takedowns, right? So... So effectively, only two girls have ever shot takedowns on her. Ronda Marcos, who went one for one, 100%. <clears throat> Mackenzie Dern went 0 for 6, so the whole number is is, is on the 1. I remember uh, Mirko Krokop, my boy, because I'm Croatian. He fights uh, UFC 110, and he fought Anthony Parash as a short-nose replacement. Anthony Parash has got no path to victory in this fight, right? Other than he is a BJJ black belt, maybe get Krokop down. So he shot 11 of the worst takedowns you'll ever see in your life. Krokop stuffs all 11 takedowns. And for years later, they'd say he's got the highest uh, heavyweight takedown defense numbers. 
in the UFC. But it, it was largely from one fight, right? One fight, he stopped 11 takedowns. So now in his other fights, even if he got taken down one for one, the numbers always look good. Her numbers looks good. Verna's big, Verna's strong, Verna's physical. And if you don't think Verna's able to go out there and take Amanda Hebas down, she took down uh, Carla Esparza three times, right? She's still way better wrestler. Way, but she's the second best wrestler in the division. Tatiana Suarez, who I don't even know if she exists anymore, but <laughs> outside of her, Carla is a legitimate good yeah. wrestler. And Verna's in that fight. She's in that fight in the sense that it's her UFC debut, and she's taking on the former world champion and the best wrestler in the division. Doesn't give a terrible account of herself. Now I'll admit the Mackenzie Dern stuff. You're getting outstruck by Dern. It's not a good look and this and that. And, and again, maybe that recency bias is the reason why we're getting a plus money ticket here. But if this fight strictly stays standing, she's going to be in trouble. But the later the fight goes, I think Kibis is going to start to falter a little bit. She'll start to become a little more fragile. And if at that point, Verna can get this thing to the ground, not all BJJs created equal. And Hebus will realize, oh shit, black belt versus black belt, Verna on top. Verna's got nasty good top game. So I actually agree with you. But again, I'm more of a coward instead of taking the outright <laughs> shot. So I got the fight going the distance, man. I get it's minus 200. Sure, sure. But Verna submit Rebus, it could be possible. Does she knock, knock her out? I really don't think so. Does Hebus knock out Verna? Good luck with that. Does she submit Verna? No chance. So Hebus's path of victory would be winning a decision. Verna's path of victory could be inside the distance. It could. But I could also see her just winning two of these three rounds, getting this fight to the ground, positionally tiring this fighter out, and uh, just working the grind. So maybe fight goes the distance at minus 200. But uh, I've got two underdogs straight up to this point in the card, and I think we're on the same page with both of them. But I got Mikey O, and I got Verna Jandranova. I like it as well. I will just throw the, the tinfoil hat on real quick here for general but by ko at plus 1400 plus 1000 it does not look good when he bus gets hit it doesn't look like she really no. enjoys being hit and if verna just kind of just you know bites down on her mouthpiece puts her head down and just throws some big shots she could find herself successful with something like that too but i think she's going to need to do that to kind of close the distance anyway to get that takedown so i wouldn't be surprised if that ends up happening. has she but ever has she ever I, knocked out i, I don't ever? even know but again yeah. if you give me he boss and the way that she reacts sure, to fights, right. it's live in my see head. what i'm hoping I'm hoping she hits Hebus. Hebus doesn't react well, turns, and then there's the neck. <laughs> you know, like, thanks for giving it to me. Uh, you know what? I am wrong. You're right. She has one TKO in 17 nice. wins, one by knockout. Good for 6%. What, but that's 6% the, uh, for me here. What was the knockout? Did, did, was it over anybody uh, notable? Invicta? What was it? Uh, it was against Kanaku Murado, who broke her own arm. Well, okay. <laughs> Wow, that was KO by submission. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I mean, she's a submission I, uh, ace. She has sure, 13 sure. wins by submission, uh, yeah. I would think. But, but that's why you said tin hat, tin foil yeah, hat, yeah, right? And yeah, it's yeah. minus 14, or sorry, it's plus 1400. There's a good reason yeah. why it's a big price tag. But, uh, yeah, hopefully Verna puts those hands on her, right? Whether yeah. it's a knockout or not, if she just gets a hold of Hebus and roughs her up, I could think Verna could have a lot of success. If you're going to give me plus money, in. Yeah, hopefully she doesn't stick on the outside like she did against Dern. She knows she needs to close the distance, and I hope she can, uh, is more than convinced that she's going to have the better striking here. All right, let's move on to the main card. 
And this is the time that I always like to take to remind the 150 live viewers that we currently have. Make sure you guys hit that like, hit that subscribe, and then show my guy Cody some love as well. We have his uh, YouTube account linked in the description below. He's dropping all that B-League stuff in terms of the, the Bellators, the PFLs, and the Contender Series. I think next week's Contender Series is actually the last of the season. So make sure you guys go ingest some of that good stuff. All right. First fight on the main card. Probably my dark horse, not you know, maybe after this weekend, he's not going to be a dark horse any longer. Magomed Ankalaev, the uncrowned 205 pound champ, in my opinion, coming in at minus 280, going up against Volkan Uzmir at plus 240. I will say this, Cody, I do think that Volkan Uzmir is the stiffest test for the Russians uh, uh, on this card, maybe outside of Ismagulov, who's you know, partly Russian, but he is Kazakhstani. But in terms of like straight out full bred Russians, I think that uh, Volkan Uzmir is probably the toughest test. With that said, though, I still think that um, uh, Uncle Ive will be able to land the better strikes, maybe land a couple of takedowns here, control the fight where he needs to. The guy seems pretty much flawless, right? Outside of that one-second slip-up against Paul Craig in his UFC debut, he's been pretty much wrecking dudes, right? Well, doing pretty well against some of these dudes. The main knock that I've been hearing about Uncle Ive is that he's just a little bit too patient at times, and that might get him behind on judges scorecards if his opponent is able to put a bit of a pace on him. Uh, and on, uh, Volka, Volkan not putting a pace on him, but he could maybe out outstrike him in the sense of putting more numbers than him up. And that is a little bit of a concern for me on my part, but man, uncle, I've just seems just so clean and crisp and, 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 near perfect man the guy is very good at striking uh you know even though he's a little bit disciplined with the striking when you look at the statistics of his actual strikes here um i think he has like a very small margin of error let me just quickly pull it up here i had the numbers right in front of me um one point uh what is it sorry 3.41 strikes landing per minute and only absorbs 1.78 strikes in return that's crazy that is crazy that he's only like less than two strikes a minute that he's absolutely uh absorbing here because fighters just can't find uh the mark with him he, he's just always moving uh very well good head movement good footwork whatever it may be he really makes it difficult for his opponents to find him uh i like uncle live here i don't know if he'll be able to finish vulcan i know vulcan uh got knocked out in his last fight but that's by the monster yuri prohaska who has crazy knockout power uh, i think we'll see a pretty disciplined approach here from uncle live like i said full mma game think he mixes and takes downs thinks he gets the better of the striking with the more impactful shots and then takes home a decision victory uh and i believe that is currently sitting at plus one or plus 235 now on Clive by decision. I think that's starting to balloon up a little bit. I like that, uh, Cody. I think that uh, Vulcan will probably stay durable for the majority of this fight uh, and, and should be able to see that 15-minute mark. I am going to throw out another tinfoil hat conspiracy here. I know Uncle Ive has zero submission victories on his record, but plus 2,600 for him to have success on the ground, which I think he will be able to have here. That slight inkling that he maybe goes for a choke or a, or a rear naked choke, whatever the fuck it might be. At plus 2,600, I might have to take a little bit of a shot. Vulcan Uzmir has been submitted a couple of times in the past. Most notably, and we talked about this a little bit earlier on the podcast, via neck crank in Bellator. So I think it's live, especially if Uncle Live is going to be as dominant on the ground as I expect him to be. So maybe I'll throw a dollar or two on that plus 2,600 submission prop. How are you seeing this one go down? Yeah, I guess something about Kelly Nunson back in the day to that Bellator That's fight. The like, one. Come on, and it was Kelly like a, I think Nunson. it was a can opener position too, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it was a neck crank. Um, yeah, but I I, see, I remember he lost to Kelly Nunson. He fought one more time, and then he took two years off. Then he came back once in 2017. He fought a bunch of times. 
but he would have he had this gap once one fight between 2014 and 2017. Then we signed to the UFC was no time. He's knocking people out. Obviously, Pru he beats him. Misha Cherkinov beats him. Jimmy Manuel beats him, and he gets a title shot. This is all within 12 months with the, with the promotion. But since then, you see him fall back to kind of competing once about once a year now. And uh, with Vulcan, yeah, he's got big power. If he hits, he's going to knock you out. He's a good striker. He's you know, a pretty adept guy, but his takedown defense has largely been an issue. His cardio has largely been an issue. And with Magomed Ankalaev, he makes a lot of good choices. I consider him to have a very, very high ring IQ. I know he got Outside submitted with one, one second, second left, of course, <laughs> and you can never break down a Magomed Ankalaev fight without bringing it up. It'll haunt him for the rest of his life. I sure. mean, what a bonehead Rightfully decision. Rightfully so. But he's actually looked like a top five light heavyweight in pretty much all of his fights since then. I mean, who knocks out Ian Kudalaba in the first round? And yet he does it twice. You know, he smothers Nikita Krylov. People said he looked bad in that fight, but he looked in control in that fight. He didn't do anything more than he needed to do. And that's what he'll do against Volkan Uzdemir. He'll get the takedowns when he needs them. He'll strike when he needs to. But beyond that, I think it's lull Uzdemir. Get him to maybe engage you a little bit and then get that takedown. Once he gets on top, that's where he'll have his uh, his best success. And I agree. I don't think he's looking to rush things. I mean, I know people will see him finish Kudalaba and all this and that, but you've got to go back to the Krylov fight, his most recent, where he doesn't mind taking his time, grinding his opponent, tiring them out, securing the position, and not putting himself in harm's way. Uzdemir is experienced. He's fought in some good level of competition. Even though he's been off for a year, I think he's durable enough to survive, and I think it's going to be a lot of Magomed Ankalaev on top, giving him a good old-fashioned grinding. So... I got Ankalaev at decision plus 210. I think it's a pretty wide out price tag. And yeah, I, I can see him controlling three the three rounds or at least two of the three rounds and maybe evade for one round if you need to. And, um, you know, thankfully Volcan Uzdemir doesn't have a triangle choke in his back pocket. So <laughs> should be Ankalaev, Ankalaev by decision plus 210. I think that's going to be a, one of my go-to plays. I love it. Hopefully by mid-2022 or end of 2022, Ankalaev gets that gold, which in my opinion is rightfully his. But again, he needs to go out there and actually beat these guys uh, to to prove that. So uh, let's move on to the next fight and probably the fight that most people are looking forward to with, you know, bated breath here. You got Hamza Chimaev finally making his return, going up against Li Jingliang. In terms of odds, we got minus 550 on Chimaev, plus 425 on Li Jingliang. I feel like me and you are both going to agree that Chimaev probably goes out there and just smashes this guy pretty quickly. And you can come to that conclusion pretty easily after watching that Neil Magny fight, seeing, you know, the success that Magny was able to have in terms of dragging uh, Jingliang to the ground and controlling him. But I think that Chimaev will bring that ground and pound heat as well. My concern here, though, is that layoff, that covid shit that he had to go through to the extent that he even retired for you know a month or two because he thought it fucked his body up so much so let's see him in there get that get that back we don't know if it has any type of lingering issues for him you know whether it has to do with his cardio or anything like if this goes past the first round i'm gonna sack up and toss maybe 15 or 20 bucks on Li Jing Liang on the live line just in case there are some lingering issues with Hamzad that even he may not even know of until he actually steps inside the cage here and get some live action going it's one thing to get in the practice room where you have an out it's another thing to actually be there with a, a guy like Li Jing Liang who a lot of people are just just writing off right like when Li Jing Liang's on the guy's a stalker the guy is a, a brawler the guy can go in there and march you down and really throw some big shots and put you in some trouble but it's gonna be difficult to stop those shots of Chamayev here so I am not fitting Chamayev pre-fight here at all 
it's more so based on a live betting uh, experience for me. But I do expect Jemayev to go out there, ground this fight pretty quickly, and then get that TKO. So in terms of props, you know, rather than paying that minus 550 on Jemayev in this spot, under one and a half is around even money. Uh, Chimaev round one is at plus 155. Uh, maybe if Chimaev gets it done early, round two plus 450, not too bad either. Uh, but Chimaev KO plus 150, that's, that's kind of where I'm leading here by ground and pound. How do you see this one? you know what i'm just waiting for the spot where we disagree because so far it seems like we are just on the same page but i mean i know oh, there's it's a coming lot of... cody it's coming yeah i saw your, of... i already saw your best props there's one that i'm like mm. okay well that's good to know because yeah so far we've been riding on the same stuff and uh, i know they're largely bigger favorites and they're largely you know in yeah. that go-to russian spot so i i, I get it but in comes out Shemayev's case i think it's warranted rightfully so how do you approach the situation where I don't think we think this fight's going the full 15 minutes, right? But again, that's been steamed up. Chimaev inside the distance, it's been steamed up. The problem with Jingliang Li is that he's pretty durable, right? I mean, he's got six pro losses. Only one of them have been by finish. He's got five decision losses and one by submission. The one by submission is late in the third round, and he made a dumbass decision that Kaida Nakamura fight, giving up his neck like that late in a fight. But all the same, it's like he's been dropped multiple times. He's been caught in bad submissions, and he usually does find a way to persevere. So I by no means think this fight's going to go the distance. But similar to Durayev Kopolov, don't think it goes 15, but I like that over one and a half. This is the same thing. Chmayev Lee, over one and a half, minus 150. I don't mind that considering with Jingliang Lee, again, he's durable. He's only been ever finished one time, and it was the third round. He doesn't have a durability problem. Comes out Chmayev, meanwhile. People are like, oh, he killed Gerald Mearshart. Well, Mearshart's been knocked out early a few times. Oh, Riz McKee. You know, actually, Alex Morona put a life-changing beating on him one fight later. He made Alex Morona look like Kamzat Chimaev, Rizmiki. <laughs> and then the John Phillips fight. You know what? Funny enough, John Phillips is like less than a minute and a half away from hitting the over one and a half. And this is John Phillips. So Jing Liang Lee can't be discounted. You know, we've seen Neil Magny absolutely grind on him, but the guy is durable. He's always there. You got to mind your P's and Q's. And in Chemayev's case, I mean, if you were worried about the lingering effects of COVID, what it did to your lungs, and are you going to be able to push the same pace and all this and that, are you looking to come out and just burn yourself out in the first round? Or are you looking to come, get the takedown, you know, establish some good top control, work in that ground and pound, see how you feel, and then take over. There's no doubt the way he's been talking to the media this week he wants to finish. It feels like he's trying to make up for some lost time and he wants to finish. I just hope he doesn't overextend himself pursuing that finish where he should just play it smart and allow it to come naturally. I think he can finish this fight naturally by just beating the crap out of Jing Liang Li all the way of rounds one, two, and then maybe into the third round, take him out in the third. But the over one and a half, I feel like Lee's strong enough to last a round and a half. And if Chemayev, whatever reels, for whatever reason, ends up being a fraud and falls apart, he's not falling apart before the one and a half. It'll be also late in the second round into the third round. So you'd be covered either side. The picks Chemayev, I'm going to take Chemayev. I mean, on parlays, it's parlay straight up. If I had to say method of madness, it'd be inside the distance, probably by a TKO. Um, but I would say the over one and a half at minus 120 is the smartest play that I like for this one. I just have to go ahead and sprinkle 25 bucks on Li Jingliang round three plus 3,500 just because Dude, of the yeah. hypotheticals out of there. Plus 3,500, you can't talk me off that shit. But yeah, uh, Chamayev should go out there and do work. For us, it's more so just kind of 
questioning the things that we haven't seen from Chimaev yet, right, uh, yet. And uh, this has got to be his toughest test to date with Li Jingliang, who's durable and can throw uh, some pretty heavy heat. And has some decent cardio himself as well. So there are some question marks here whether Chimaev can get it done. But I'm glad that me and Cody think that he can. All right, let's move on to the next fight. We got Alexander Volkov going up against Marcin Tybura. Minus 290 on the big brooding Russian heavyweight Alexander Volkov. And plus 245 on the pole, Marcin Tybura. Uh, Marcin Tybura sneakily on a five-fight winning streak right now. And most notably in his last three fights, he keeps getting dropped and rocked, but manages to come back because of the level of his competition. You know, very abysmal. But uh, Alexander Volkov blows all of that competition out of the water here. Um, for Marcin Tybura to be successful in this fight, I think he needs to land numerous takedowns and get some control time. I just don't see that happening against a big, big guy like Alexander Volkov, who earlier in his UFC career, you know, did show some issues in terms of getting back to his feet and, you know, getting controlled by guys like Timothy Johnson. But I feel as so we've seen him kind of shore up those issues. He gets back to his feet pretty easily. You know, 14 takedowns by Curtis Blades, which means that Alexander Volkov got up at least 13 or 14 times himself. So that just lets you know that this guy can get back to his feet. I'd be very surprised if Marcin Tybura is able to control this guy uh, from, from top position. You know, we've seen guys like Maxine Grishin find their way back to his feet. And Maxine Grishin, obviously, very, very... You know, he's like a mediocre level light heavyweight. Uh, and uh, he fought him at heavyweight on short notice and was able to get back to his feet. So Volkov, I think, will continuously stuff takedowns, get back to his feet, and then start to get comfortable with the striking. And then I think then I think he gets Tybura out of there probably, you know, late first round, early second round. Uh, yeah, Volkov, Volkov by knockout, I think is around plus 135, plus 145. Take my money. Uh, I, I think he's one of the most uh, confident spots for me on the card. It's got to be Alexander Volkov. I'm hoping that we share sentiments on this one. How do you feel like that this one goes down? Yeah, I'm starting to feel a little bit better about him. The worry would be, obviously, yeah, the, the takedown, right? Path of victory there for Marcin Tabora, five-fight winning streak. He's been largely utilizing that ground game. And once these fights do hit the ground, he's got a very crafty uh, BJJ game. His stand-up, okay, but yeah, he can't take a great punch. So you're not going to want to stand up with Volkov for a long period of time but yeah the, the more i look at it the more i think about it the more i tape study it i think volkov couldn't be in for a good performance you mentioned the tony johnson jr fight back in the day bellator i love that you reference these old ass tim fights. johnson i meant tim johnson oh uh, well when he finally in the ufc yeah well fair but he lost to tony johnson jr back in bellator he just got grinded right he weighed 243 pounds his next fight against chai congo oh shit he got grinded again by chai congo 242 pounds that fight with tim johnson which he won a split decision didn't look great 249 his fight with curtis blades where he got grinded down 247 and then that's the last time that ever happens to me my friend he lost <laughs> to curtis blades at 247 his very next fight against walt harris 265 the fight with alistair over him 265 the fight with surreal gun 265 he put on 20 pounds of muscle when you see him at weigh-ins he's thick like Alexander Volkov was tired of getting grinded up by he's six foot seven. He's a big boy. He's just long and lanky. I mean, he actually lost to a guy named Pat Bennett back in the day in M1, and he weighed in 224. Volkov did. So he's always been the skinny heavyweight, but now he's filled out and been the stronger, bigger, thicker heavyweight. So will wrestlers been able to get him down? Maybe, but it's gonna be tougher to get by. And with Tybora, he's not the same level of, of a Curtis Blades. He's not the same level of a Timothy Johnson's fucking dead to me. I never want to talk about him ever again. But <laughs> you know, the guy actually was a D2 All-American. So as far as the wrestling game goes, Tybora's it's gonna to be tough to take down Volkov. It's gonna to be tough tough to take him down consistently in terms of finishing Alexander Volkov. I really don't think Tybor is going to do it. So outside of maybe having success in the first three to five minutes, 
it should be Volkov beyond that. And then the, the, the deciding factor is this is not in the apex. It's in a full-size octagon over in, in Abu Dhabi. So uh, it's going to be a lot harder to track Volkov down and press him up against the cage when you've got to run all that distance. He's going to be able to stay on the outside, play the distance management game. And if the thing does end up in the clinch, he's going to be big enough, strong enough to hopefully keep it upright and work some knees to the clinch, tire Tybura out and then put him away. Tybura's run's been admirable, and I, I've actually been riding the high. I bet him over Walt Harris. I bet him over Greg Hardy. I lost the Ben Rothwell one. What can you do? But I had him over Max Grissom, Sergey Spivak. He's uh, he's he's serviceable, but you can't take away from the fact that Greg Hardy was beating the crap yeah. out of him before his asthma kicked in, which it tends to kick in sometimes with Greg Hardy. And then he was able to over to take over. If Hardy doesn't take his foot off the gas and, and, and tire out, well, I mean, it was going very good for him. Volkov, meanwhile, he's one of these guys that is a 15-minute fighter for sure. You mentioned the fact that he gave up those 14 takedowns um, uh, against Curtis Blades. It's a 25-minute long fight. So, I mean, this, this is a guy that fights five rounds against Blades, gets dominated with the wrestling for four of them, and watch the fifth round. Even Best round, round by far. Yeah, even in the fourth, fourth round. round. Had some good success there. Blade starts to tire out and Volkov's yeah. keeps going. And and you know what? I just think he's got the cardio. He's got the striking advantage. Him putting on that extra mass is going to hopefully allow him to keep the fight standing. I don't like the fact that it's three to one, but you can get him at plus 130 by TKO. So that's what I went with. Alexander Volkov, TKO, plus 130. I like it. Yeah, that's probably where I'm going to be too. I did actually end up parlaying Volkov with Derive as one of my most like safest bets on the card at minus 122, but I definitely feel strongest above Volkov in this entire card. All right, next fight up, we got Islam Mahachev taking on short notice Dan Hooker. Obviously, heavy chalk here on the Mahachev side, minus 650, plus 475, the return on Daniel Hooker. Um, the main issue here was, you know, which way does Mahachev win? And I'm still having issues trying to figure that out. Does he grind him out? Does he find a late submission? I'm leaning more so on the decision side here as, you know, Daniel Hooker, we still need to give this guy some props. My issue with Hooker taking this fight on short notice is you can't be taking the most important fight of your career on short notice. I get you're doing a favor for the UFC, and I'm sure they, you know, sweeten the pot a little bit for you to take the shot. But, like, you, you got to be living on the wrestling mats to be uh, going up against a guy like Mahachev, uh, you know, especially, again, in the biggest fight of your career. You really got to be well-equipped, and I just don't know if he's going to be well-equipped enough. To, has he been training with his team? Does he have his regular training partners? Like, There's so many external factors as to why I don't think that Daniel Hooker is live at all in this fight. You know, If you do think Hooker has a shot, you got to think it's a Hail Mary knockout, right? Plus 1,100, plus 800. That's really the only way I see him winning this fight. Otherwise, I think it's just a one-sided beatdown. So I ultimately did end up on the side of Mahachev by decision at minus 105. Not enough juice on the bone for me there, though, just because I do think that there is a finish that is uh, potentially in play here. So I'm just going to you know, just stick with maybe throwing Mahachev into a couple of Hail Mary parlays, sweeten the pot a little bit, add that cherry on top. Uh, I'm hoping you can give me some more clarity in terms of a method of victory here for Mahachev because that seems to be the way that you're going to be able to extract the most amount of money from this fight. So I got Mahachev decision. How are you seeing this one? Yeah, I got Mahachev by decision as well. First and foremost, fight goes the distance, minus 140. Again, if I, I don't know. You're right about Hooker. If he springs the upset, it's likely going to be a knee right up the gut, going to hit him in the yeah. face, knock him out. So is Hooker's path of victory decision? No. No, not at all. Makachev, yeah. Okay, you know what? If you're going to take the decision, probably you might as well just take the Makachev by decision. But again, fight goes the distance, minus 140. Makachev by decision, minus 100. I think that's the path of victory. Dan Hooker, no doubt about it, has fought the better of competition. He's the most experienced. He's a more experienced guy. And yeah, he he's gone out there and put on some great performances. 
beat the crap out of Dustin Poirier for two, the first two rounds, like looked tremendous. The problem is, and you look at his run, and I always mention this, I make a point of mentioning this, it's styles make fights, right? You can have one style and you can be great. You can win 30 fights in a row, but have you ever fought that style? Well, how do you do against that style? Den Hooker's case, Nazgat Hawkparas is a striker. Uh, Michael Chandler, though he can wrestle, is a striker. That fight was a striking battle. Justin Poirier, striker. Paul Felder, striker. Ally Quintus, striker. James Vick, striker. Edson Barbosa, striker. Gilbert Burns, well, he was a grappler at least. But, you know, of course, he knocked him out. And this is like three and a half years ago. He knocks him out before the fight really gets going. All I'm saying is he hasn't really had to face a suffocating wrestler. He hasn't had to face someone who's going to repeatedly take him down, put him on his back, and grind on him. And Islam Makachev is exactly that. The reason why we go with that um, a decision victory here is that with Makachev, the one question about him would have been like, well, maybe he starts to get tired. But he answered that in bundles against Thiago Moises last time. Did it look like he was getting tired? To me, it did not look like he was going anywhere. But he does have that, that Khabib style where it's just a grind. They're not looking to finish you early. It's they will just break you, and then the, the finish presents itself. So him versus Drew Dober, it's a third-round finish. Him versus Thiago Moises is a fourth-round finish, and his two fights prior to that, uh, Armin Saruki and Davi Ramos both go decision. If this was a five-round fight, I could see him eventually taking Hooker out down the stretch. But in a three-round fight, no, nah, I think Makachev just, you know, secures position, holds him down. Now, if you think about, well, how does Makachev finish, guys, with the submission? Dan Hooker, never been submitted. Well, what about Dan Hooker got knocked out by Michael Chandler? Dude, that is a Herculean effort because it takes a lot to knock out Dan Hooker. His chin's notoriously been good. His submission defense has notoriously been good. But with that long and lanky frame, He's going to be getting taken down, and Makachev should be able to have a lot of uh, success from top pressure. Last but not least, I mean, Dan Hooker's a guy that fought at 145 back in the day. He's since put on some size and filled out that frame, no doubt about it. But again, he is long and lanky. He's got a high center of gravity. Once he gets pressed up against the cage, Makachev will be taking him down. Long gone is the theory of work him for the first two rounds, and when he's tired, take him out in the third. Like, it don't look like he gets tired. Habib's gone on record to be like, dude, this guy's better than I was. And I was like, okay, I don't know if you're just saying that because he's your buddy, but to say that means a lot, right? It absolutely does. One of the reasons Habib doesn't really want to fight anymore is he's like, not my turn, it's Makachev's turn, right? They're both in the same weight class, and he respects this kid. He sees that the work he's put in, he's felt the kid in the training room, and now he wants to have the, the young lion's going to have his glory. So unless this is a George Shapier, Rory McDonald case where the young lion was actually a fraud, uh, I, I think Makachev does actually pick up the crowd and carry it for Team Russia for a little while to come. I love how you you brought up uh, Khabib saying that he's better than him. It, it reminds me of something from last card where Marab Devalashvili was saying that that, that <laughs> yeah. VN guy was a better wrestler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, dog, was, stop being so modest. But. Yeah, I was thinking that. But you know what? He's sitting with Lillian Joshua. It's like the UFC. You're <laughs> from Georgia? Come on. Yeah. Come on. Let's pack you guys together, fuck. She looks good. She got a big schnoz on her. But who cares? <laughs> Nothing, nothing a little surgery can't fix. Well, good. yeah, we know it. Everyone's got different shapes and sizes. Who's little yeah. Couple performance bonuses. I'm sure we'll see that schnauzer shrink real quick. Shout out to my guy Brandon T here, though. Uh, Makachev in round three or decision at minus one seventy five. Not too bad of a shot, in my opinion, man. I don't, I don't know any bookies up here on my side of things, even Cody as well, where you can bet those double chance props where it's like round three and decision gets covered. But if you guys have access to that, I, I do really like that. You know, a hooker is tough to put away. And if he does put him away, it's probably going to be late. Go ahead, Cody. So I was thinking about this last night, actually. I thought about it a week ago, but I really put some thought into it last night, is it would be like an insurance. Imagine you could buy uh, an insurance on it. So you're betting your guy, whatever. If he loses a split decision, you get a push. You get your money back. Now you're going to have to pay some more juice on it. 
but if your fighter loses a split decision, you'd get a push. So let's say, for example, you bet this guy and he's minus 200. But for minus 250, if he wins, well, it's a minus 250 bet. If he loses, you lose. But if he was to lose a split decision, it'd be a push. You pay the extra juice and it's split decision protection. Because a lot of people feel they get screwed in these close split decisions. And Clarissa Shields did shit the bed, no doubt about it. But you know what I mean? I would have paid the split decision juice on that, right? If it's a close fight. There was no way that was a split decision, dog. <laughs> but yeah. I, I'll tell you, I, I'll tell you where I agree. Cody, I, I put the tweet on. I'm like, I think the PFO forgot to pay off the other judge. Right, right. They, they got, got one. one. <laughs> well, the first, the first round's dog shit. She doesn't do anything, right? But she lands the better strikes, I guess, and she keeps the fight standing. The second round, she lands the better strikes, does get taken down. I'm just saying, if you were to rewatch that second round, she gets taken down, and Montes does nothing on top. She just holds it down. And Clarissa Shields also terrible, is punching from, from her back. So she's striking off her back. She landed the better strike standing. It's a close, it's a shit close round. And the third round, she gets dominated once the fight hit the ground. Um, I'm glad I lost that one. The only reason I say I'm glad, <laughs> no, the only reason I say I'm glad I lost that one is I don't like Clarissa Shields. She has a shit personality. I don't yeah. like these people who are, I'm better than everybody. I'm the yeah. best. Give me attention. Me, 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 me. And all she talked about was everything but the girl in front of her, Abigail Montes. And it'd be like, oh, well, you know, your last fight, you struggled with the grappling. Oh, yeah. Greg Jackson told me I did great. It's like, oh, shit. She's at Jackson I'm not sure if you heard the commentary, but like Greg Jackson was literally just screaming that the entire fucking time. was up, 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 up. You know what? If you didn't know that she was a three-time, you know, she's a youngest champ, world champion, history of boxing, to win three, uh, three world titles in three different weight classes, youngest men or women. Okay, she's sixty-six and one as an amateur boxer, fought in eleven different countries, won two Olympic gold medalists, uh, two two Olympic gold medals. Is currently eleven and zero as a professional boxer and has looked nearly flawless and did not know how to throw a fucking punch, right? She sat there, and instead of working a jab, surely you know what a jab is, stay to the outside, work your distance, line her up for the right hand. She would bull rush in like this, close the distance herself, clinch Monty's. What are you doing? Why are you clinching her? You're the boxer. Maintain range. Box. Use your jab. She couldn't. No fucking clue. She looked like someone who had been boxing for three months, and was having her first fight. She looked awful. Awful. And this is a great athlete who's still young, who's a hard worker, has all these variables. MMA is a different beast. And so I'm an idiot because we've all should have bet Monty's. I know a lot of people did. Shout out to you. But sometimes I get caught in, I have a bigger, faster, stronger, more experienced, more athletic fighter out of a better camp. And you, you, you can't go in there and fight the fight for them. She had no ring IQ abysmal why would you if you rewatch the fight it's very frustrating she she is clenching monty's she's running yeah. in the pocket and killing the distance herself she had no idea what the fuck she was doing she's just and then, overthrowing a lot and then that allowed abigail to really grab her and and you know clinch her up and stuff yeah for the record abigail monty's is 21 years old okay she's got two pro fights no amateur experience and comes from a boxing gym and yet she went to Team Body Shop, Antonio McKee's camp, yeah. for like three weeks. <laughs> That's all it took. That's all it took. So I got this new I got this new thing I'm going to do from now on. It's actually foolproof, my man. I'm going to fade you if you're from Jackson Wink. That is a garbage camp. They are just on a complete 
turmoil, dude. At first it was like, oh, why is everybody walking out? Like, why is everybody leaving the gym? People are like, oh, it's toxic atmosphere. Donald Cerrone is toxic atmosphere. Mike Perry of all people was like, yeah, it's kind of weird here, right? That tells you everything you need to know. Yeah. Uh, they are right down the shitter, that gym. Awful. All right, let's get back on track here with three fight or two fights left on the slate. We got a uh, possible disagreement here coming up in the bantamweight interim strap. We got Piotr Jan going up against Corey Sandhagen. In terms of odds, we're looking at minus 220 now for Piotr Jan, plus 180 the return on Corey Sandhagen. Now, I've been getting torched all week for these takes, and I'm going to continue doing these takes because this is what I see on tape. This is what I'm going to show to you guys. I don't think that the line should be this wide to begin with. Now, there's always times where we get these champions that build up this mystique of themselves, Figueredo. Israel Adesanya, that these guys just can't be beat Conor McGregor to a certain extent. But then when they actually get beat, they're like, oh, of course they could get beat. But that's where I feel like we're getting here with Pure Jan. Now, the argument that I'm making for the Corey Sandhagen side of things is that he has the recipe to to implement the game plan that other guys were trying to use against Pure Jan, but they didn't have the hardware to do so. And what I mean by that is like Aljamain Sterling. I thought he had a great game plan in terms of putting the output against Pure Jan, kind of making Pure Jan just stop and stare at some of the things that are going on. And in doing so, he's kind of giving up some rounds. Now, two judges actually scored the first, or two judges scored, or sorry, three judges scored the second round for Aljamain Sterling just based off of output. Uh, one judge actually scored the first round for uh, Aljamain Sterling, in my opinion, again, off of output you go back to the Jose Aldo fight the second round Jose Aldo finally feeling himself gets some cut those strikes off starts putting up the activity Purion's kind of just stuck staring at him just waiting for his opportunity to let his big shots go Jimmy Rivera same thing winning four minutes of the first and second round until he gets clipped in the, like with the last 30 seconds left in each round and that saves around for Purion he ends up getting it saved there now people can say oh of course he's going to get the knockdowns but Cody me and you can know legitimately that knockdowns are high variance situations like you got to be precise with that strike timing power all that stuff and you got to find it and you can't always guarantee it's going to happen every single round sure Jan has some tremendous power and all that stuff but you can't guarantee that he's going to be able to get that knockdown every single round to secure a round, especially in a round that he's going to be getting out worked in. Uh, and that's where exactly what I think is going to happen here with Corey Sanding, who I think is going to be a little bit more defensively sound than his past opponents. And most importantly, has the cardio to do this over 25 minutes compared to guys like Jose Aldo and Aljamain Sterling, who just don't have the hardware to go that 25 minutes when they needed it to happen and it didn't work out for them. Corey Sanding, if he stays on the outside, does his work by picking apart uh on with volume, not saying he's the better technical striker in this situation, because that would obviously be blasphemy. I know that Purion is one of the best pound for pound fighters in the game but his style is heavily emphasized on him finishing his opponents or him getting knockdowns if he's not able to secure either of those things get hairy and i see that getting hairy here against Corey sending the only way that i see him justifying this price tag is if he goes out there with a grapple heavy approach but how often do we see him actually do that right he goes out there and he wants to outstrike his opponents and sure he's landed a couple of takedowns in some of his fights but there's no one fight that you can show me where he goes out there and just grapple fucks his opponent takes him to the ground and just lays on him or you know finds the finish on the ground you know he did it to jose aldo late in their fight because jose aldo was huffing and puffing going into that third round that is why I believe that Purion won that fight. Now he's fighting somebody that has the gas tank to do so, has the footwork to do so, has the output to do so. That's my argument for the Corey Sandhagen side of things. I've heard some takes that they think that Corey could knock out Purion. 
you know, Corey is a master at like kind of creating traps and, and diversions and then kind of just lulling guys into knees and head kicks and stuff. But I'd be surprised if he's able to do that to a guy like Pierre Young here. I think more so Corey Sandhagen will go out there and I'll point Pierre Young as long as Young doesn't go up with a, with a grapple heavy approach again, something he's not known to do. I think he's going to be in some trouble because I think he'll be behind on the judges' scorecards having to deal with the output. Again, just go back and, like, again, statistics don't always tell the whole story, but you see the rounds that he's losing, his output isn't that high because he's getting stuck staring at his opponents. And I know that there's this whole, like, you know, people are having their, their judgment clouded about Donald Jermaine Sterling just because of how their fight finished. But in one of the breakdowns that he even released in part for this fight, he's kind of, you know, saying the same thing. And that's kind of what they built their game plan around is there's a lot of times where Pierian just gets stuck staring, waiting for his opportunities to explode with his big shots. And when he is stuck staring, output, output, output is what beats him. And I feel like a guy like uh, Corey Sandigan, shout out to my guy MMA by the numbers who released a statistic. Corey Sandigan attempts 16.24 distance strikes per minute. Per minute! That's 34th in the history of the UFC. So I think we have the perfect archetype of a fighter to beat Purian. Uh, Will he be able to do it? I'm willing to take the shot at plus 205. That's where I pulled the trigger myself. If it was an even money fight, I'd maybe be a little bit more hesitant about it because I'm not trying to discredit Pierre Dion at all. That guy is an absolute savage. But I feel like this is his toughest test inside the UFC. And if, um, again, unless he brings a singlet to the cage here, I think it's going to be a tough test for him if he goes out there and tries to kickbox Corey Sandigan for 25 minutes. I think it's going to be very difficult for him to do so. And I already know the comment section is blown up being like, this guy's a fucking dumbass. I'm going to unsubscribe to his channel, all that type of stuff. <laughs> they said the same thing to me whenever I make my 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 underdog plays. Like, again, Abigail Montez last night, uh, <laughs> Marina Rodriguez earlier this year against Amanda Kibas. Like, there are certain things where I see when I see it on tape. I stick by my shit. Like, I, I stick with my confidence. And if I feel like I've done the work, which I feel like I've done for this matchup, and feel confident in a big underdog, I'm going to take the shot. So, boo-hoo to anybody in the comment section that's going to be talking some shit right now. But, Cody, I know you're going to lay some good Pyrrhian love on me to win back some of the fans here. So, please do so. No, I mean, listen, I'm a Peter Yod nut hugger. I like everything this guy does. I think he's the real deal. He's the complete package. There's nothing that I don't like about him. He's got excellent cardio. He's got an excellent chin, good durability, good striking, underrated wrestling, and just like a mentality to win at all costs. He's one of those guys that's going to fight for your dollar, get out there and scrap it up for sure. Looking at some of the issues on the fights, just to kind of like counter some of what you're saying, right? The Jimmy Rivera fight. You know, again, he, he, Peter Young's 26 years old at the time. And I know it's, it's like, oh, he's waiting too long. What you got to look about some of these fights that he hasn't looked overly good. Jimmy Rivera is a counter puncher, right? Jimmy Rivera does his best work waiting to counter. So they're both counters and they're both waiting. So Peter Young's waiting for Jimmy Rivera to open up, but it's a very hesitant. He does get the knockdowns that saves him, sure. The fight with Jose Aldo. Jose Aldo is a nat natural counterpuncher. So maybe at times Peter Yon looks like he's waiting too long, but I just think he's well within himself. And then his last time I went with Aljamain Sterling. I, I, I thought for sure Aljamain Sterling won the first round. I thought Peter Yon did a pretty good job working his way into the second, although you can also score the second round for, for Aljamain Sterling. It's just that he knows it's a five-round fight. He realizes he's got time to work with. And it's Aljamain that's an idiot. Aljamain threw 74 strikes in the very first round alone, okay? He actually threw 230 significant strikes uh, throughout the course of the fight, 260 total strikes. So all Aljamain is just burning himself out. Jan takes his time. He sees everything well. He defends excellent. I mean, everything that Aljamain was landing was pitter-patter, or it was glancing, 
or it was being blocked. He seemed well within himself. It's the takedowns. You know, you mentioned, oh, well, he's not really a takedown guy, and you've never really seen it from him. He scored takedowns in his last six fights. Those six fights include seven takedowns over Aljamain Sterling, who was falling to the ground more than anything, but Aljamain is a very solid wrestler, one of the best in the division. He took down Jose Aldo, some of the notorious best takedown defense in the division. He took down Uriah Faber twice and knocked out Uriah Faber. By the way, Uriah Faber's chin has its own chin. This guy's durable. He KOs him with a head kick stiff, and he took him down twice. That's not easy. Jimmy Rivera, you mean five foot five, Jimmy Rivera? You mean low center of gravity, little fire hydrant of a man to take down? Took him down as well. John Dodson, who takes down John Dodson? Oh, yeah, Peter Yan twice. He wants you down, he takes you down. And unfortunately for Corey Sanhagen, he's got lackluster takedown defense. So this is how I explained it to Paul for my reasoning for taking Peter Yan. If this is just a striking battle, close fight, close fight. I think Peter Yan could win it. I think you're right. Corey Sanhagen might have the more volume. It's the mixing the takedowns in that's going to make the difference. If it's a close round, close by the numbers, both guys are having moments, but Peter Yan throws in a takedown, it's his round. And I bet Sanhagen over, over uh, TJ Dillashaw's last time out, and I'm not butthurt about it because it was a close fight. But you know why it was a close fight? Sanhagen landing the better strikes, but he's getting taken down. That ability to grind on a guy, to, to mix in a few takedowns here and there, is all good stuff. As far as volume goes, Sanhagen's got disgusting good volume. But once Peter Yan gets heated up, I mean, he landed 194 significant strikes against Jose Aldo. You ever seen that before, right? But, you ever but, seen Cody, Cody, let, let's be honest, yeah. though. The yeah. majority of that was round four and five, where he had him on the ground and beat the shit out of him. I think he'd had 100 strikes alone in those four rounds, or, or those last two rounds. Outside of that... Yes, you're 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 right. you're beating on a corpse for sure, right? Yeah. But but even through the first three rounds, he's landed just about a hundred significant strikes over Jose Aldo, who defensively is one of the best strikers that the division's ever seen. They're not walkover level opponents. Corey Sanhagen, meanwhile, just lost to TJ Dillashaw, who had taken two and a half years yeah. off from the sport and is 36 now. He knocked out Frankie Edgar. Does that count for anything in this day and age? He knocked out Marlon Marias. Does that count for anything in this day and age? And then he got absolutely walked through by Aljamain Sterling, yep. who just cut through him like a hot knife through butter. So, yeah, he's beaten some irrelevant guys in the division, and now he's going to go out there and destroy Peter Yacht. Not destroy. A win's a win. That's You'll a take it by any yeah, means necessary, exactly. brother. A split decision, a robbery, a point deduction, by any means necessary. I, I agree. It's just when I look at guys... Yeah, there's a there's a certain there's a certain breed, you know. There's the Khabib Nurmagomedovs, the Amanda Nunez. I guess Israel Adesanya is doing a pretty good job of putting himself in those discussions. And as long as these guys stay in their lane, don't move up a weight class. Yeah, they're they're just excellent fighters. They do everything well. Peter Yan to me does everything well. And whereas Corey Sanhagen's pretty dope as himself, I just feel like Yan's a little bit little bit sharper everywhere. And so the last final two points is shockingly enough, Yan's actually younger than Corey Sanhagen. I found that one to be shocking. Uh, the other thing is, have you seen any of Yan's like strength and conditioning stuff? He just got a new coach. Like, have you ever checked out his, like his social media in the last couple of weeks? I know he's shredded as fuck. You could grade <laughs> cheese off this guy's abs, man. Like he is <laughs> intense. He's talked so, so much shit to Aljamain that Aljamain's like, ah, my neck. Yeah. Oh, illegal me. I can't <laughs> fight. Like, like <laughs> and I don't blame him. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't want to fucking mess with this guy either. He's a piece of, he's a iron piece of Russian, right? I'd rather this be the main event simply because, well, to me, this is the two best bantamweights in the world. 
Whereas this is the number two and four best, two two and five best heavyweight light heavyweights in the world. Sorry, but I'd also like to have Peter Yan on my top ticket so I could hedge. Whereas now I'll have Jan Blockwitz on the top ticket to at least give me a hedge out opportunity. I love Peter Jan, but I really do respect your your opinion and your word. And I hadn't seen anything online of you taking Sanhagen, so that's it's all good food for thought. It's definitely going to make me rethink it. I don't want to put a Peter Jan on my top play when someone who I really respect is uh, definitely not seeing it the same because I know you've put the work in. But I got to go with No Mercy Jan. I mean, he's uh, he's something special as far as I'm concerned. For me, I think this will be the one and only time I probably fade Piotr Jan. Like, I feel like, again, archetype-wise, this is probably the best guy to fight him. It's just the grappling, which is why I'm not, like, super, super into this. I have 200 bucks on, on Corey Sandig in here at plus 205. That's it. Like, I, I see the way that he can win this fight, but I absolutely see how Piotr Jan can win this fight, too, and it's absolutely viable. But at the current odds, I just think it's a little bit too off. So I got to take that shot here on uh, on Corey Sandhagen. But again... Will more than likely be the last time I actually uh, fade Pure Yan. Uh, plus three, what is it? Plus three, where is it? Uh, Sanhagen by decision, plus 385. That's kind of what I'm leaning. I'm seeing a couple other people saying uh, Sanhagen by KO at plus 650. I, I don't see it, man. I'd be surprised if he knocks out uh, Pure Yan here. For me, it's more so the volume. If you can stay away from the grappling, that should be enough for him to hopefully get a decision here. So, yeah, uh, I'm on the Sanhagen side here. It seems like Cody's on the the pure yawn side let's move on to the main event we got the light heavyweight title on the line here minus 290 for jan blahovich plus 245 for glover to shara uh interesting fight you know blahovich is having this late career resurgence obviously winning the title and then just defying the odds time and time again uh underdog against dominic reyes underdog against israel adesanya and turning both of those guys back uh and most notably knocking out dominic reyes the way that he did was very impressive now here against to i think he'll be able to do the same thing in terms of finding a knock out and he's done a really good job in terms of like mixing up his strikes as well right the main thing that led to that dominic reyes knockout was those body kicks if you guys remember that left like a big bruise and a, a big uh big uh like purple uh mark on uh dominic reyes's body and that that eventually led to the knockout for blahovich i think Blah blahovich has a good enough jujitsu to be able to hang with to share on the ground to not get finished but to has such grinding and crushing top pressure that i think it's going to be a little bit difficult for blahovich to get out from under him at certain times but i think that at when this fight is in the striking realm blahovich will have the advantage will be able to find that chin of tashira and be able to put him out Luckily for Teixeira in the past, against guys like Anthony Smith and Tiago Santos, he had a bit of a cardio edge where he, when he did get rocked, he was able to kind of shoot in for a takedown and to complete the takedown and get out of trouble. I think he's going to have more issues here dealing with Blahovic, who you know uh, should have a little bit better takedown defense, will have the better cardio, at least in comparison to the past opponents that Glover Teixeira has fought. And then from there, he should be able to let his hands go. So uh, I, I'm more than likely not going to be invest invested in this fight at all because the fan in me is super giddy about to share getting a title shot in 2021. And hopefully he's able to actually win and get that uh, get that strap and hopefully ride off into the sunset. But if I were to play any props in this fight, it would probably be Blahovich KO plus 115. That's really about it. That's the only one that I feel a little bit confident in. But I can see this fight going either way. Odds a little bit too wide for my liking because as we've seen with Tashera, he is very live no matter what and who he's going up against. But I think that this is the most complete fighter he's faced 
during the stretch that he's on right now. And unfortunately, I think he's going to get turned back. So I'm going Blahovich, knockout plus 115. How do you see this one going down? Yeah, yeah, another uh, another agree. And somebody like Jan Blahovich, I got the official play that I like the most is the over two and a half at minus 125. I think that Glover's durable enough that he's going to last two and a half. But at some point, Jan eventually does take over and probably gets a later finish. Again, when you look at Glover's resurgence, it's been great. But yeah, you nailed it, man. He's been fighting a lot of guys that either have takedown defense problems or durability issues. Tiago Santos has a durability issue. Anthony Smith has a durability issue. Nikita Krylov has a durability issue. Ian Kudalov and Carl Roberson, like, you kidding me? More concerning, though, is Carl Roberson's got Glover out. I mean, he lands with a series of those Travis Brown-style elbows against the cage, and Glover's like, he's seriously, seriously rocked. But he comes back and he gets the win. The fight with Anthony Smith, yeah, that first round, first two rounds even, round and a half, I'd say, he's getting his face jabbed off. Like, this is a significant speed advantage, but Anthony, you know, eventually tires out. The Thiago Santos fight, Glover almost gets knocked out in the first round, and he almost gets knocked out in the third round. And, you know, thank God Thiago Santos has blew both of his knees out, coming off the bench, bad cardio, bad durability. Glover takes over. With Jan, it's like it's it's a problem, right? He's never been submitted. Uh, his takedown defense is pretty cast iron. He's a BJJ black belt himself. So this big ground game advantage that Glover's enjoyed over his last number of opponents, not going to have over Jan. So now you got a striking battle. Glover back in the day was a banger, you know, stay in your face. He throws those big wild hooks. He himself was a striker, but you know, he's 40 years old now. He's been hit. He's been wobbled. He's not looking to get into an extended striking battle. He's looking to eventually take you down and have his success there on the mat. If he can't take Jan down, and even if he does, he's not going to have a prolonged period of success and just holding him down. He's going to be forced to strike. And with Jan Blakovic, he's not a, a first-round finish kind of guy, like not for the most part, but you can see those big power body kicks eventually start to wear you down. He eventually starts to find his mark, and then he should be able to go out there and take him out later the fight goes. The Israel Adesanya fight is actually kind of competitive through the first three rounds actually you know what people like to shit on izzy i thought izzy did a fine job in that fight it's the championship rounds four and five where yawns like i'm gonna take you down and his cardio checks out it's like you know what this guy's got good cardio knocking out dominic reyes that's a feather in your cap the win over Corey anderson Corey anderson can't take a punch but considering he's probably a top five light heavyweight in the world right now it's a big feather in your cap knocking out luke rockhold doesn't mean anything but as far as a skilled guy goes there's just a lot that you can like out of Jan Blakovic. It's been knocked out one time against Thiago Santos. If you rewatch that one, it's just a bonehead decision. He just charges right at him. He thinks he's got him hurt. I don't know. Charges right at him like an idiot. But since then, he's been way more measured, way better, getting improving all the time. And for a 38-year-old fighter in Jan Blakovic, I couldn't couldn't name you another guy in the light heavyweight division that just found their found their prime later on like this, which he has. He's going to get exposed eventually, no doubt about it. 205 is a dog shit division, but John Jones not in it. It's an even worse division than it was before. And he will be able to beat these lower end guys. Fighting Glover, who's just as old, he's actually older than he is. That's all good for business. He rolls in this fight. Where his future lies beyond this, I, I don't know. At some point, somebody's going to catch up to him. But for this match, I think he's got Glover's number. So because it's the main event, I think you can use him as a top ticket guy. And then if everything else comes intact, even if you know you're going to get two, three tickets out of it, it'd be a very easy hedge out on Glover because he's like plus 235. You don't got to put a whole lot of money on him to get some type of return. So if you know what a hedge out is, Glover would be a decent hedge out at the end of the night. But straight up, if you don't feel comfortable taking Jan Blakowicz as a three to one favorite, if you think Glover's got a little bit of magic left in the tank, all these different things, I think you're over two and a half, minus 125. Jan wins. It's going to be later in the fight. If Glover wins, I'm scratching my head to find out how he wins, but I, I would think either later on in the fight, 
you know, maybe catches him, maybe, maybe can somehow use takedowns to win three of the five rounds. Like I doubt it, but over two and a half looks good to me in either scenario. I should have started off this breakdown by saying happy birthday, Glover Teixeira. He just turned 42 today. They actually yeah. even sang happy birthday to him at the press conference earlier today. Uh, I do quickly want to um, address, where is that? There's somebody that was asking, uh, Brian, Brian Lemire, saying uh, the prop that uh, Saftik was picking for Jan. He will answer that for you guys in the three best prop bets segment that we have coming up for you guys right now. So, um, yeah, that, that's a wrap on the breakdowns. Let's get to the three best prop bets now. And as we always kick this off, I will announce who the guest is for tomorrow's ultimate way and show as soon as I can pull up my screen. There we go. Oh. It is spazzing out on me. Give me a second here, guys. I apologize. Um, all right. Guest for tomorrow. None other than the Canadian gangster himself, oh, Olivier Obama-Mercier. I know he made an appearance on the Magic and Andrew show earlier this week, and those guys snuffed him right from under me because I already had him booked a couple weeks out. As soon as they heard that I had him on, I think they did the same thing, and they probably wanted to book him for the PFL show. Was he is, good? He'd probably be okay. Yeah, yeah. He's okay. He's all yeah, right. Yeah, he, yeah, he knows yeah. what he's talking about. He's a fun time. So uh, I've been DM DMing with him over the last couple of years or so. Cool guy, fun guy, loves to bet. So I'm sure he's going to have some interesting takes for the upcoming card year. So tomorrow night, 9 p.m. Eastern, uh, Olivier Obama is going to be on the podcast breaking down the card for us one last time. All right, let's get into the three best prop bets. We have John's as well. So I'll be sure to share those with you guys, and we'll kick off with mine. As always, the first one that I have is Andre Petrovsky, round one, plus 250. That is the bulk of his win condition, and I feel like he is light years apart uh, in terms of the jiu-jitsu against uh, Hu Yazong on the ground. So I'll be taking a little bit of a sprinkle there because I think he'll be able to get out of there really quickly. Uh, submission, plus 250 as well, I think is very intriguing. Again, I think the jiu-jitsu is completely on another level. Next up, uh, I got Albert Drive inside the distance, minus 130. I think he goes out there and smishes uh, Mr. Roman Kopilov without too much issue. I hope it's not too difficult for him to get the takedown, but based on the tape, I think he should be able to secure the takedown here and then go to work from that top position. And then lastly, I got to go Alexander Volkov via KO, plus 135. I think it's a complete mismatch once they are in the striking realm. And I think that, uh, you know, we've seen in the last couple of fights for Tybura, he gets hurt every single time, but has managed to bail himself out by uh, getting the takedown and, and kind of just getting out of that trouble. I think it's going to be much more difficult for him to close that distance here against Volkov after getting hurt and trying to get a takedown against a big boy like Alexander Volkov. So I think that Volkov KO should come to fruition within the first six to seven minutes of this fight. For John, uh, he likes Hibas by decision. He believes uh, from at least my conversation <clears throat> with him, he believes that Hibas will win by decision based on her ability to kind of outstrike Verna, keep her on the outside and maybe stuff takedowns, you know? So I, I think that's kind of his reasoning for that. Uh, that's plus 120. Uh, secondly, he also likes Volkov by KO plus 135. Same line of thinking with me and him. And then lastly, he likes uh, Volkan Uzdemir and Magomed Ankalaev to go to a decision at plus 155. And he said, if you want to get a little cheeky with it, you can go ahead and bet Uzdemir by decision at plus 700 because he actually think that he, he believes that Uzdemir is live in this fight. All right, Cody, for yourself, Let's kick things off. Does he think Uzumir is live by decision or he just yeah. live? He, he Uzumir by, by decision. Oh, Output. fuck. Output yeah, volume. 
Yeah, fair enough. I thought he'd chin check me if anything, but yeah, shit happens. Okay, Murphy Miracani fight goes the distance minus one ten. We're gonna start it off, try to get you an even money play again with Lerone Murphy. He's a pretty durable guy. He's gonna make a Miracani work. Miracani's pretty durable guy. He's gonna gas himself out, but cling on for dear life. Went three rounds with Edson Barbosa. Can take a punch. I think both these guys match out just like many fights you've seen from them in the past. Murphy's gonna pull away, win a decision, but regardless of who wins it, fight goes to decision. Minus 110, hook me up for that. Moving on, we got Peter Jan by decision, plus 150. I just think this guy's a wrecking machine, man. There's very little that he does that he doesn't do well. I know what you're saying, stuff like, you know, the Jose Aldo fight, man. All those fights landed in four and five. To me, any human being who can fight another guy for 20 full minutes and then in the 25th minute of the fight, this guy lands 64 strikes, something in the fifth round, like unbelievably just keeps going. But I have so much respect for Corey Sanhagen that I believe he'll be able to take the beating for 25 minutes and therefore I'll be able to score a Yan by decision at plus 150. And then, hey, you know what? I do actually believe with John that uh, Ankalaya versus Volkan Uzdemir is going to <laughs> Unfortunately, I'm going to have to go with the other side there, Ankalaya. I think he secures the takedowns. He seems to be a pretty high ring IQ guy. Keep the fight grounded. Keep Volkan down. And I mean, if you were a fighter, you were preparing to fight a guy, you're watching tape on Volkan, you'd see he's got power. You'd see he's got good timing. You see he's got a good counterpuncher. Why would you stand with that guy? Be smart. Get the takedowns. Volkan's given up a lot of takedowns to lesser guys. And I think that Magomed Ankalaya has got that... Uh, that sweet little ability to just grind him down. Last thing I want to say is you are lucky Obey Mercier is on the show tomorrow because he could have won a million dollars yesterday. Oh, right. <laughs> if he would have just not pulled out of that Jolton Luderbach fight, he'd have likely been fighting Rush Manfio in the finals and could have very well won a million dollars. So uh, now he gets to do podcasts for free. <laughs> now and, I'll, uh, I'll be hounding him about that tomorrow. I'll definitely be sure yeah. to bring that up. <laughs> Honestly, I thought he was looking pretty decent in the tournament. He was saving himself for the finals. Unfortunately, you know, you got to have a couple chips go your way. And he only fought two times, not three. That's what screwed me. But all the for same, sure, dude. Sure. I, it's going to lead to another good show for you. And I'll be looking forward to watching it. Absolutely, man. I'm glad to have you back in the saddle here for the next two weeks. Um, yeah, it, it's always fun, man. I love my guy, John. I always have just as much fun with him as well. But it's just a special connection that I feel like me and you have. And obviously the fans enjoy as well, as you can tell, 200 plus live viewers. And then I believe the views are absolutely going to be off the charts here as well. Uh, I'll just give you the platform here on the back end. Is there anything that you want to say before I wrap this bitch up? No, that's about it, man. Just been super busy. I would like to thank the fans for being patient with me because I know it's like, uh, could you release things a little earlier? Could you release them more timely and whatever? You get good ones, you get bad ones, but just the amount of support I've gotten in the last few months, like I've been doing this for 10 years, but I would say probably in the last six months, especially with the big heater, sure. But beyond that, it's like the community has been growing. Everyone's been awesome. I miss doing the show with you on a regular basis, but I got a zillion other things going. If you're following any of the Dogger Pass uh, horse racing group, uh, things are going good there too, man. We're looking to build a stable. We've got two race horses right now. One race last week. One's going to race next week. And, uh, yeah, I mean, just keep, keep going that forward grind. So shout out to everybody that takes the time out of the day to watch of our, our rambling. I know prior to the show starting, we were like, dude, let's just go an hour and 20 minutes, hour and a half. And, you know, that's normal. <laughs> this thing is pretty good, dog. Know, for for 15 flights to get it just under two hours. Not bad. You know what I mean? We've done fucking two and a half hours on 12 fight cards. We've gotten, you know, two hours done for 15 fights. So I, so I don't mind. I'm glad to do it. And, and honestly, dude, you're my friend. So I think if we, if I didn't know you and we talked about 15 fights, sure, it would take a long time. But it, I just feel like we're in a bar having a beer. And yeah. and to that effect, I'll be talking about someone and be like, dude, did you watch Clarissa Shields last night? And we talk about Clarissa <laughs> Shields. Like, why, why did we do that? Just because yeah. it's like. We got chemistry, man. I like you. And uh, I, I hope that's part of the reason why the fans like the show. It's informative. 
but it's entertaining. A couple good guys were clearly friends, uh, clearly have passion for the sport. And uh, yeah, just uh, none of this is made possible because, dude, we could have literally just gone to the bar and have a beer. But Absolutely. none of this made possible without the love and support from the fans. So as always, I just appreciate them coming out. Uh, again, I could probably throw a rock out my window and probably land on your front doorstep because you're not that far from me. So maybe one day we'll we'll try to find a way that we could do this in person. So it's a little bit more, you know, I feel like there's just a slight more chemistry when we're able to like look across the table from each other, maybe even have a beer or a fucking crown royal in hand as we talk some shit and, and try to break down some bets. But yeah, I definitely enjoy it. But we should we do, will... I know Contender Series is done, but it been, we should do a live, something live, something that's like a Tuesday or Wednesday. I'll come down, have a couple of drinks. Oh, it's five fights, down. you know what I mean? Yeah. And just talk. Talk live fights. People can join in. I, I yeah, like that sure. stuff personally. Yeah, well, we'll try to line something up. Maybe for a pay-per-view or something like that, we can do a live stream where we're just chilling together and having some beers, smoke some J's, and, and see how it goes. My favorite. Uh, but yeah, luckily for you guys, like I said, next week is also a pay-per-view event, so Cody will be back next week as well. No set time, but we always try to aim for uh, Thursday of fight week, but as soon as we figure out a time, we'll obviously let you guys know. Uh, but it doesn't matter what time, because you guys always watch this shit anyway. So shout out to all the fans like uh, Cody was talking about. Uh, and yeah. Uh, good luck on your bets again tomorrow, 9 p.m. Eastern. Me and Olivier Obama-Mercier will be breaking down the card one last time. And don't forget, early start time, 10.30 a.m. Eastern for the first prelim, 7.30 a.m. Eastern for the or sorry, uh, Pacific time. So uh, don't get caught napping or don't get caught sleeping because we got some good fights right from the get-go. Tagiro and back off to start the card off. I'm down with that. All right. Uh, on behalf of myself and Cody, good luck on your bets. And I'll see you guys tomorrow night once again for the Ultimate Wayne Show, 9 p.m. Eastern, War Alexander Volkov, I think that me and Cody are going to be very heavy on him this weekend. Let's fucking go.